0: The UFC's going to Sao Paulo and we have you covered with Fight Night Picks. You are not going to want to miss it. Keep it locked in with Fight Night Picks. We always say, let's let's get get into into it. it. And just like that, we are back and set for UFC Sao Paulo. It's the Fight Night card headline by Jalton Almeida. He's going to be taking on Derek Lewis. And we were getting excited for back-to-back heavyweight main events, but because of one of the fighters on this week's main card, Dante Elmays, and his overpowering wrestling out is John Jones, supposed to be taking on Stepe Miacich. So scratched is that big-time heavyweight main event for UFC 295. You still do have this one to look forward to. As always, one half of your host and duo, Craig Allen, Twitter and Instagram, X and Instagram, at Craig Allen FNP, exactly. with me to my left, to your right, respective socials, Matt Allen FNP. Matt, the last time the UFC went down to Brazil. It was way back at the start of the year. You had a card. Uh, it was it was just overwhelmingly full of Brazilian fighters. And they went to the tune of a 500 record. Now, that's good for batting average. If you're like a Cattel Marte, you strive for it. But the way that the Brazilians are set up on this card, there is one featured Brazilian fighter in every single exactly. match. All 13. No Brazil versus Brazil violence like we had earlier on this year, UFC, 283 and again on 283 i mean you see a title not going figueredo's way you see it in the fight where wow glover to looking to hang on to the belt against jamal hill he loses it there so overall this is just the first time that the ufc's gone to sao paulo since 2019 and it feels like a pretty big fight night card. And I th- I couldn't agree any more, honestly. And I think you'd agree with me. There's a lot of prospects on this card that, honestly, I project a half-decent ceiling on. Being the- one of the Bonfin brothers, perhaps, Jaltan Almeida, one half of the main event, there's a lot of fighters on this card who, okay, maybe this fight isn't the one that's going to get them into the title shot or the top 15, but you could see how they could put the pieces together and move really far. I know a fight I'm really excited for that might not be getting a ton of credit, but it's probably going to be that, if you don't know, now you know, kind of a match. So call me a minute. I think Bahalio versus Abus Magomedov is a really fun fight. Because that's a fight where the winner's going to gain a lot, right? Two fighters with a lot of really, really just stock behind them. A lot of fanfare as well. And I think that's a fight where the winner's going to get one of those huge names next. And they might even see themselves as a co-main event. Or even honestly a main event of a fight night coming up. Uh, not that crazy because Kyle Bahalio, 4-0 in the UFC. Three of those four fights have already been co-main events. And for Abus Magomedov, he finishes Dustin Stoysfus. And honestly, I'm surprised he's still in the UFC after losing to the eventual champ Sean Strickland in the main event of Canada Day earlier on this year. In terms of ranked fighters on the card, there are but five, three rookie debuts. Eduardo Mora, that is one of them. You have Victor Hugo as well as one... Kawe Fernandez representing Nova Uniao. Sophomore showings you have, but none. There are nobody, or no fighters rather, making their second time out for the UFC. So again, it is one of those interesting cards. Lucas Almeida was supposed to have yes. a fight on this card. Or sorry, Lucas Alexander. Alexander's opponent, David Onama, is out. So if anything happens with Alexander, if they get him back on this card, you know where to find us here at Fight Picks. You guys were so kind in the comment section last weekend. So keep those coming it's pretty much a road to ufc 296 at this point but it goes through sao paulo this weekend so a lot of fights to talk about a lot of brazilian fighters represented exactly. on this card you're gonna want to keep it locked in with Fight a picks we always say let's, let's get, get into it, it. It's a surprise UFC debut, and it might seem like a weird bit of matchmaking coming up this weekend. The bone crusher Mark Jacesey, seven and seven since he debuted years ago at UFC 204. Jacesey looking to take on the newcomer out of Nova Unyao. Coway Fernandez and Matt UFC fans They might already recognize Fernandez or maybe him and his brother Kawa Fernandez who Unfortunately lost the fight earlier on this year probably would have been able to punch his ticket to the UFC or contender series But we do have one of the Fernandez brothers coming up riding a two-fight win streak over with the LFA And if you don't know about Fernandez, let me kind of let me let me cook for a little bit because going back and watching the tape It was a lot of fun and you can find Quite a bit of it out there because for Fernandez, pretty easy to find the fight tape. For Eduardo Mora, I don't know. I mean, I could find a couple of them. I'll be completely honest More with everybody. More difficult than Fernandez. And then with Victor Hugo, you can find a little bit. But when you look at a guy like Fernandez training out of such a mega gym in Nova Uñao, you always see Dede Pedernares in the corner of a lot of those fighters. Jose Aldo kind of at the top of the marquee. Then you have fighters that end up becoming coaches. I'm thinking like UFC 1, 2, and 3, the video game zone, Johnny Eduardo. Wow. But for Calle Fernandez, he's so interesting because... You could bill him in all sorts of different ways. I could sell you a a bit of a painting if you want, and I could say, Calle Fernandez, he's a Muay Thai striker. And you go, okay. I'll believe it i could also say well he's a brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt like that does feature at the forefront of his game and you go well, wow, that's an abstract painting but i can believe it as well and that's the biggest thing that i found you know you talk about matchmaking and fighters coming in not on a ton of notice or they come into unforeseen circumstances and i could say okay well look at marnick man when she made her ufc debut It was too much too soon. Look at Muhammad Naimov when he came in to take on Jamie Mullerkey. And you're kind of fighting not just up the the order, so to speak, but you're also going up a weight class to do it. And all of a sudden, Naimov with wins over not just Jamie Mullerkey, but Nathaniel Wood as well. Fernandez gets a big-time opportunity. His last time out with the LFA, he was a big, big underdog, taking on Felipe Douglas, who was 21-5 at the time. They get into a clinch situation. You think, geez, here's the opportunities for some big knees. Fernandez drops his left shoulder a little bit and throws a left head kick, shin to chin, and he knocks out Dirty. Felipe Douglas. So when I look at a guy like Fernandez, Matt, he's like the old Mark Casey. He's very exciting, exactly, and people That's might really top. like him. And for Mark Casey, I I don't know if he knows what he is anymore. Well, and and he used to train. It was American top team. It was Great Britain top team with the man in the hat, not Chuck Mindenhall, but. Your guy, Brad Pickett. Mark Jacasey for this fight, training out of the goat shed, which has been a big gym recently in Southern Florida. But it's what version of Jacasey do I get? And does Fernandez become automatically a star or does he get dropped to the bottom of the roster it's like i've often said i believed in dante exum i still believe in dante exum and luckily he has made it back to the league but for jacquesi it is hard to just kind of figure out where he belongs in the lightweight division because he did have a lot of hype earlier on in his career but you bring it up only seven and seven in the ufc which is a bit of a surprising record for a guy who has had as much shine as a fighter like jacquesi but him being the opening fight on this fight card i think does kind of tell you where his spot is in the ufc but i'm glad you set it up this way, because it is true, right? Jacacy, on a two-fight losing streak... He still fought some pretty good fighters at 155 pounds in the UFC. Win, lose, or draw. And guess what? He's got some good wins in the UFC too. And that's why I have a hard time with this matchup. Because for Jacacy, we have seen a lot more of his wrestling develop as that UFC career has gone on. He was a lot more of that back foot counter striker heavy where he'd throw those big missiles out of nowhere. And if he hit his target, they really wouldn't stand up to it. But Jacasey has had a game where it always has been focus on this one part and improve it. And then focus on another part and improve it. Remember when the answer to Mark Jacacy's game was L. Elbows. He beat yeah. the brakes off Joe Duffy with elbows because, hey, it was an answer to help him deal with guys who tried to close the distance on the kicks and on his long-range punches. But I do think you bring up a really important question because the improvement Casey's made in the wrestling—what does that take away from in the rest of his game? Because I do still think he has some of those talents from the outside, but when you're not training those in the gym as consistently, I, I don't think we see Marcha Casey being that kind of one-of-one of one in- special talent in the striking anymore. And that's where it's going to be interesting because if he does just kind of stay on the back foot and try to go for some. Of those long range takedown attempts, because the thing about Chikase is he can land takedowns from really far away. He's that fast at closing the distance, but he's not the best at chain wrestling after he hits the hips of his opponent. But if he's able to shoot in out of nowhere and hit the hips of Fernandez, for as good as the game of Fernandez is, his takedown defense isn't lights out. It's good. He can take it... for underhooks and he can defend takedowns. It's not 0%, but if Chikase is able to really stifle him with some of that movement on the outside and just surprise him at getting in on the hips, I could see that being trouble for Fernandez. He just starts to throw up submissions off his back. And Fernandez will find himself not spot a lot in his fights. And for Mark Giacasey, again, Goat Shed Academy, you look at some of the training partners that are out there. I'm going to pepper a couple of names out there, but Shazaib uh, Rind, a striking d- dynamo in Arturo Vergara, Luxbay Montalvian, and then 7-0 Combate Bantamweight prospect at Lazaro De Ron. So look out for him. But the biggest part for Giacasey is where he spent a little bit of time at Goat Shed before going down to Brazil Home Gym was always Great Britain top team, but from the Instagrams, he's been training with three-time Cage Warriors title challenger, Jack Grant, as well as Scott Ascom over there at Jack Grant's Combat Gym. And when you look at a guy like Fernandez, I mean, he's a bit of an oddball. He really is. Because in terms of how often this guy's fighting once per year from 2014 to 2019 he had a little bit of a find himself gap year in 2013 we all know what happened in 20 or sorry in 2020 we know what happened in 2020 and then he came back and he's fought once a year 2021 22 23 so this is his second action of 2023 and just the first time in his pro career that he's fought twice in one year but you go down through and you look at all of these finished wins he's got six finished wins five of those six are in the first round and you look at the way that he's able to do it i went back i watched his fight against uh luis sardinia And I think the reason why people might be a little bit down on Fernandez even having this shiny record with only the one loss You look at Sardinia. He beats Fernandez and he hasn't fought since which is a little weird for an undefeated fighter Fernandez shot out of a cannon in the first round and then in the second round He can't get the takedown and he looks completely Wiped and he tries to clinch a lot and then in the third round both guys are tired, but Fernandez is shooting from odd angles He's trying to get the leg. He's trying to wrap up for a knee bar for anything. He's getting dropped He looked completely out of wind. He's looked great in those last two wins. He's been able to get finishes in the last two. But this is my big problem for Fernandez. It's a lot of big actions on the feet. It's a lot of big actions for the takedowns. It's a lot of playing jiu-jitsu off his back. And nine times out of ten, or rather eight times out of nine, he's been able to go out there and get the finish. But the two things that I want to really focus on for Fernandez, when he gets even an ounce tired, he becomes a completely different fighter completely different fighter he becomes defensively liable his hands drop big time and he really does struggle at the end of that first round going into the second to the third the other thing with fernandez there's a lot of big action a lot of striking a lot of waiting 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 and then planning and looking for the counter strike he also does this weird thing to where He likes to faint a lot, and he ducks his left shoulder and his head in, and drops his hands at the same time, and he's there to get hit. And it's one of those weaknesses that I could see affecting him as he moves up the ranks in the UFC. The weird thing about this fight against Jacacy is, if Jacacy isn't that high of volume, though, I just don't know if he's gonna make Fernandez pay for it, so that's something I'm gonna be watching out for. But this is what I want to say about this fight, just as, like, a closing note. I kind of joke about this in the heavyweight division, right? You're at the top 15, you've got like three guys outside the top 15, they didn't have a group of anybody who could beat anybody on any given night, right? There's a lot of room beneath Mark Jacacy in the lightweight division, I believe, even though he is only 7-7 seven and seven on a two-fight losing streak. If Fernandez does lose this fight against Mark Jacasey, I think there's a ton of future opponents for him to get matched up with, to where it might not even be the worst thing for him long-term in his career if he does lose this fight to Jacasey, because it's one of those situations to where, and it's such a cliche at this point, you either win or you learn, and a loss to Jacacy, I don't think, sets you back to square one, right? It just proves that, hey, you're not ready for that step at that point. Well, 8-1 and one is Fernandez's combined opponent Record for him 66 and 16. So it is pretty streaky I that see. way. For Mark Jacasey, he is the favorite in the matchup. He was actually a heavy favorite when I had a look at this as I was writing my notes. The line has come down quite a bit. He's about a minus 154 is Jacasey on Best Fight Odds. We have a look at the top all the surprise to us as they are to you. Matt, I'm going to say over, under. I think it's going to be close. I'm going to say 62.5% Uh I think it's going to be over, personally. I think it's going to be over. It's slightly Old over. Slightly. 1,186 total votes. 65% Jacacy. 85% by decision for the 35% that are Fernandez. 60% by decision. 27% by knockout. And we've seen Jacasey in those last two wins that he has. Vyacheslav Borshev, Old Slavov Klaas, and Demir Hadzovic. Two guys that only strength. Well, and to piggyback off of your point of how Fernandez fights like a different guy in the third round, this is the only thing I want to say about Casey. He doesn't like getting hit. Like he does fight like a different guy if he starts to take a lot of damage to where he's not gonna take the risk to try to win the fight. So I do think that's a point I want to bring up. Cause let's say Fernandez is able to hit him with some of those blitzes early on, and it makes Shakey a much more hesitant fighter on the back foot. Then Fernandez could definitely roll to a win, but you probably know from where he set the tapology votes and where I placed them at. I do think the veteran knowledge of Mark is going to be enough for him to get this win. But there's a reason I bring up the fact that there is a lot of room beneath Mark casey for you to continue to grow. I don't think Fernandez is gonna fight jim miller next you know so i, I do have jacquesi in this opening fight but i think it's gonna be a really fun one i do i do this quite a bit i'm going Yago zone and i'll pick coway fernandez you know you want to make that sexy pick i think fernandez is going to be able to get it done and we've seen jacquesi go out there think of his fight against Rafael Alves, where he finds himself in a submission if he's out there and he's going for some of those takedowns he could find himself caught but he's training with a lot of great fighters at the goat shed in florida sure. and as well with jack grant and now octagon zone scott ashcomb he's got a big fight Coming up, so Matt, uh, we're split on the pick in this one. Love to hear who you guys have. It's Brazil's Fernandez taking on England's own Mark Jacacy. Some big time fights in this card, Matt. The next one it's in the strawweight division. Eduarda Mora, the debuting fighter, she's going to be taking on Montserrat Canejo Ruiz. You're not going to want to miss it. Keep locked in with fighting any picks. We always say, Let's get locked into, into it. it. It's a double DR. Eduardo Mora, the nickname is Ronda. She's on a speed run to the top. She's nearly two years into her pro career She's already 9-0 But unlike your weird coworker Paul who can just snap of a finger and beat Minesweeper This speed run is now going to run through Mexico and Mora is going to be taking on Montserrat Canejo Ruiz And for Eduardo Mora, I found it really interesting. You go back and you look at some of the tape you tell me where to find it. I'll be completely honest with you. I get mad when people say like that. And I've said that multiple, multiple times. But for Eduardo Mora, I tried Facebook. I tried Twitter. I tried Motion, I tried Brazilian websites, AG, Combate, Global. I tried everywhere. It's really hard to find Eduardo Mora tape. And what I can say about her is... She's a little bit like a fighter who made her debut a few weeks ago against Tainara Lisboa. It's Javino Oliveira. You've got such a little sample size of having eight fights outside of the UFC. The one fight on Dana White's contender series. So I'll call that nine fights total there was seven different organizations. So all over the place on the Brazilian regional scene, she represents Galpão de Luta, which is of course the gym that's represented by one half of your main event in Jaltan Almeida. I don't know if Mora wins, if she's going to say, Hey, Get my guy Carlos Felipe back in the UFC like Shelton Almeida does. But for Eduardo Mora, what do we know? Well, she's a Brazilian jiu-jitsu purple belt. You can see that out on her Instagram. You can see her doing a lot of striking with the gloves on in the gym. But then I watch Eduardo Mora fight. And again, a very, very limited sample size. But my goodness, when she gets happy on the feet, she gets not just happy feet like the movie, but she kind of like stands there, plants, and then just kind of throws like she's Chaos Williams. But... There's usually not much there. She will go for a high amplitude of takedowns very, very early on, like her teammate, Shelton Almeida. And her bread really does get buttered once it gets down to the mat. Pretty good ground and pound, really good top pressure, and a good submission game to go with it for Eduardo Mora. But in this one, it gets interesting because for Monserrat Canejo, a multiple-time... Mexican wrestling champ, and you know her as the Scarful Queen. She oh, yes able to do it against Cheyenne Vlizma She was able to do it down on the regional scene as well against Genesha and over with Invicta Ruiz one of those fighters that loves to go for the upper body throws get her opponents into bad positions now You heard the drop at the start of the video the double Dion. What's that about? Well, the 2005 World Junior Championship. Sidney Crosby, was he on the team? Sure he was, but it was Dion Phaneuf landing a double hit against uh, two folks in an actual hockey game. Well, Montserrat Conejo Ruiz was a recipient of a double Dion courtesy of Amanda Lemos, in a knockout loss not that soon after she had beaten Cheyenne Velismus to get UFC win number one. Ruiz took about two years off. She fought just a couple of months ago against Giacolini Amorim. And Matt, I'll throw the scorecards up there. Two judges in that one, Camijo and Ron McCarthy scored that 20-16 to 16 going into the third round. That means two judges had it 10-8, round one, round two. I also had it 10-8, round one, round two. Kanyeho got completely outclassed when it got down to the mat. And the big question marks with Amarim were, A, gas tank, because it had faltered exactly. her against Sam Hughes. And we knew Amarim as being a big-time first-round finisher. But see, I mean Kanyeho, you would thought with the lineage that she has, the grapplers that she trains with out of 10th Planet in San Diego, Kings MMA and Enthron gym, that she's have she would have some solution. But she just kind of faltered and wilted in that one. and that's always disappointing to see right because you know how good of a grappler she can be when she gets the fight in into positions where she is in that top spot where she can be the more dominant fighter but i thought she was gonna have more answers off her back in terms of either scrambling or even on the feet to be honest like kuneho has one of those styles to where okay if you're a long rangey striker who could really make her pay you're gonna have a field day you're gonna be able to hit her before she can clinch with you and she doesn't have a lot of answers from that back position but she is a little bit like Clint Capella, right? Like, you can upgrade if you can get Rudy Gobert. Chad Holmgren looks pretty good in that spot. Like, if you put that person in a position where they can be really effective, if you squint, they might even look like a Hall of Famer. And for Kanyehil Ruiz, that's what she is able to do with that clinch game and with her top takedowns. And that's why I have such a hard time with this uh, fight. Because if Mora is happy to just plant her feet and stand in that position, then those clinches are going to be coming more often as the fight rolls on. And if that is the case, not like Ruiz is a 10 out of 10 grappler, right? I don't think she's going to get the takedown every time she gets that head and arm choke position. But... The more chances you give somebody, you're just tempting fate, right? And for Cuneejo, what I worry about is, at 30 years old, does she still have the time to make those improvements in at least her striking game? Because so, I feel like if she did have at least more of a threat in that one spot, you could see the rest of her game continue to improve because she'd have at least more threats. Mora just fought on contender series. She got a win against a much much smaller opponent, similar in size. And she's going to be bigger in this fight. Ruiz in Janina Silva. And so in the opening seconds of that fight, Silva. Marches forward, more drops down, gets a takedown. Spends the entirety of that round or whatever's left in the round on top. She ends up getting the finish, and it was like a no hook rear naked choke that was opened up by her ground and pound. And she even got into a nice man of crucifix in that spot. It was really well done. Again, another Mora fight that you can go back and see her fight against Eduarda Santana, who was also billed as Duda. Like, remember Duda Santana? That she too. was going to be the next biggest thing. But Mora goes out there. She looks completely yoked. She gets the win in that one fairly easily. But I'll throw the picture up there. That was the oldest-looking 19-year-old that she had fought. So again, Mora's two years into her pro career, almost two years into her pro career. She's 9-0. And and Craig Allen, and trust me, I know I'm trying, like, it sounds like I'm pumping my tires. I can find two of her fights, and one of them was on Contender Series. So that that should go enough to tell you that I'm looking at uh, topology right now, and they say minus 450 Mora, i don't fucking know why the fuck would you put any money on that that's stupid try and find the fight date but it's not out there so just it regardless of who we make a pick on just consider this one a wash call it pop popcorn and move on to see another day for Montserrat can Ruiz, why is this fight really important it's because almost exactly it's because almost exactly a month out from her loss to jacqueline amourine where two judges had her losing 10-8 the first two rounds and she got finished in the third round She accepted this fight. It was originally supposed to be one championship from one fight night. The old striker, So Kim. Kim is out, Louise takes this fight. So a month from losing, accepts the fight and then gets a month to come into this one. So I wouldn't anticipate that the striking skills are gonna be all that much improved. You got a little bit of a Southpaw versus Orthodox thing going on here. We'll see if Ruiz can have some of the takedown defense that we knew were for uh, Aya outside of the UFC. We'll see how this one plays out. Mora's a really big favorite. And listen, topology, again, it's going to be a wash. I'm going to say over-under just because of where the odds are. 85% Mora. Uh, they're probably over. Yeah, okay. Uh, 1,214 total votes, 92% Mora, 57% by submission, 8% by uh, Canelo Ruiz, 76% by decision. If I can find two fights... I just stay away from it. Matt, who's your pick here? I've got Moira, but Moira? everything you bring up is reasonable. I just want to know where the nickname Ronda comes from. Like, that's all I've been thinking about. I'm, it goes for a lot of takedowns. I guess. It's just like, who's like, hey, you're Ronda now? Just always been a Teresa weird Teresa Bleda does Ronda. I know. It's like a much more common nickname than you would ever think. That's why I'm asking. Alexeva, like, there's been multiple rondas. Uh, I, I <clears throat> excuse me, I do have her in the matchup, even though her tape was very difficult to find. Like you bring up, it's not like the tape on Kenya Louise is beautiful. Hard to find, it doesn't fucking exist. Okay, you said hard to find. Jim... I'm just saying the words you said. Calm down. Uh, later on in Let's this get video, about nothing. Hold like, on, don't we? Later on in this video, I'm going to tell you about Victor Hugo. His tape was really easy to find. He fights in a mall. Before yes. he fought on Contender Series, you can find it easily. Coway Fernandez, is very easy to find. Eduardo Mora, it doesn't exist. It's like a, uh, it's like a magic trick. So Matt, I will go with Mora. But if the wheels fall off, I could see her easily losing this fight. So Matt, this is going to be an interesting one. Let us know in the comments section who you have and. If you can find any extra fight tape on Mora, apart from the fight against Santana and the fight that was on Contender Series, we have some big-time bangers on this card. Um, Amita's taking on Lewis in the main event. You're not going to want to miss it. Keep it locked in with Fight Name Picks. We always say, let's Let's get get into it. it. The D. Gomes Show touches down in Sao Paulo and about a five and a half hour drive from her gym at PRVT in Cortiba, It is to get herself to uh, Sao Paulo uh, to the gymnasium. But Matt, when we look at this fight, I mean, D. Gomes, this really is her show at this point. She's taking on Angela Hill, who's coming off a fight of the night against Mackenzie Dern in a main event or last fight. She's ranked in this women's strawweight division. And it's a shark tank. That's what I have to bring up. Is Angela Hill Dolph Ziggler? Hear me out! You're never surprised where she lands on the card, right? She could be the main event one week. She could be the co-main event. She could be one of the opening fights on the card. She always is probably a little bit scrappier than you assume. And every prospect who has ever fought in the division tries to make a name off of her at some point, it feels like. I don't understand it, but do I She's do the Dolph Ziggler. Denise Gomes inside of the UFC. I mean, she fought in Contender Series last year. She got a big-time win over Ryani Amanda. That time, Ryani Dos Santos now... She loses Loma Lukbunmi in a short and abbreviated fight for Denise Gomes. She gets completely outgrappled grappled in that one by the Muay Thai striker Me. And of course, if you want to play MMA math, wow, Angela Hill beat Me and Gomes did lose to her. But for Gomes, her last two times out, she's an underdog. She's an underdog. And she's able to go out there and pick up those wins. A big-time win over Bruna Brazil. She finished her in the second round. She finishes Yasmin Hauregi. That was a big the one. The double right hand. And then she just kind of keeps her down and hits her with a lot of unanswered shots. Hauregi protested a little bit because why wouldn't you? It's your first professional loss. But for Gomes, a giant winner last time out. So now she gets a shot at the rankings. She's dyed her hair blonde. So you'll see that this fight week. Her and Carol Hosa at a PRDT. But again... A big shot and now all of a sudden angela hill's back where she's always been You're a stepping stone have fun and we knew angela hill for having two stints in the ufc becoming the invicta shrawi champ back in 2016 and really i think her best time in the ufc it was kind of the later stages 2019 to 2020 she was able to go four and one the only loss in that stretch was to Yan Zhao who's at the upper echelon of this division currently and angela hill I mean she's just fought everybody at she this has. point you don't get to 10 and 13 in the ufc without Derek lewis in the strawweight division Derek lewis Dolph ziggler how many more do you have well no it's just there's some fighters out there who it's like how many guys are you gonna have a rematch with like you just gotta look for the spot in the ranking where they haven't fought for Derek lewis the shelton almeida for angela hill she's never fought gomes. we've seen d gomes in some of these previous fights you look at her fight way way back when you're taking on milana dudieva and you're getting dropped early in that one you got a rally in the second you get the finish in the third, Denise Gomes has shown that she has really good toughness, good stick-to-itiveness, bad takedown defense. She's working on it. I mean, she's at a, at a good school to work at that, uh, or work on that. She's still really at. young. And you look at Gomes, she just marches forward. So, to me, she's a little bit like a brawler, shot collar, 20-inch blades on the impala kala get laid tonight yeah i know that song yeah everybody knows little troy and if you want to see a guy awkwardly swisher's rolled tight he's just having the most awkward dance by himself you're gonna it's hit the, the guys. highway maybe get money my way better way yeah he didn't think i was away. gonna go that far away but you? when you look at this fight matt gomes if she's not able to close that distance and land those big shots she could have some trouble and for angela hill Again, look at her last fight against Mackenzie Dern. That was her Neiman Gracie against Logan Storley performance. Wow! Mackenzie Dern can box, and she gets a knockdown in the first round. A big right cross that really gets over the defense of Angela Hill. Lands the knockdown. Now, all of a sudden, Angela Hill's knockdown ratio is 2-4 to 2 against. You'll remember that Amanda Lamosh knockdown, But the big stick-to-itiveness from Hill, round 2, round 3, to make that a fight of the night. But when I look at this one, Matt... What people are going to forget, they're going to remember the knockdown of the first round. They're going to forget the fact that round three and round five, McKenzie turned 10 eights in those rounds. Angela Hill's had a rough road with those fighters that can close that distance. Angela Hill's almost 39 years old. Yeah, she's not in her prime anymore. I think that's fair to say. But that has always been the thing about Angela Hill throughout her career. It's, hey, we want you to fight this prospect. And it's not like she's lost all those fights, right? You bring it up. She has been able to fight at the top of a lot of these cards because she always has been in the rankings. And it's like, oh, you're not fighting someone just coming off contender series. You're fighting them after they are two, three, four wins into their career. And to Hill's credit, the fact that she is so good at her game at this point, being that high volume on the back foot kind of a fighter it has worked out for her in a lot of a career but you bring up the knockdowns against and that's the one thing that I do start to worry about because you know what everybody's game plan is when they fight Angela Hill it's hey we can't stay on the outside she's gonna hit us with a thousand punches and never get tired so everybody's plan is get on the inside and try to hit her with big shots not everybody has the power of somebody like Dee Gomes and I worry that if the durability of Angela Hill has faltered even a little bit well hey everybody's trying to get on the inside anyways d Gomes is probably going to do the same so if she is able to get on the inside and hurt hill i not that i'd be surprised because i think it could happen but that's going to completely shift the whole entire fight but there is a flip side to this too and it's every marina morose fight that's ever happened in the ufc if angela hill can just stay on the outside with her volume and d Gomes feels so uncomfortable at closing that distance to where she doesn't want to eat two or three shots before she can land her one big one then we could see Gomes being very hesitant on that back foot because at only 23 turning 24 soon but still pretty young in her career I wonder that okay you have your first loss it's kind of in the rearview mirror you've looked a lot better since that but is Angela Hill going to be another one of those veteran kind of skill checks where hey you're good but you might not be good enough to beat Hill and then go on your run afterwards because Hill I've always had a hard time with her in the UFC she is 15 and 13 it's not like all of her fights have gone her way but every time you count her out she's gonna look a little bit better than you think and every time you believe in her she's probably gonna come up a little short that's why I've always had a hard time with angela hill four fight of the nights for angela hill a 23 fight sample size she's the underdog in the matchup against a much younger d gomes and a it's lot of those have been in the public eye right it, it like they've all been in the ufc and invicta for the most part they have when it does come down to this one we'll have a look at the topology vote surprise us there to you i'm gonna say over under 70 d gomes in the fight i think they'll be under uh, they're over. So 1,280 total votes, 73% Gomes, 53% by decision, 39% have Gomes to win by knockout for the 27% that have Hill, 92% have her to win by decision. The last three-round fights for Angela Hill against Emily Ducati and Lupita Godinez, she won those both by decision. I think Angela Hill wins a three-round decision against Denise Gomes. It's a hometown fight for Denise Gomes, but I go back to even the fight against Ariane Carnellosi on that run, 2019 2020 She's able to go out there, bust her up. It's a TKO finish due to a doctor stoppage. But Angela Hill, if you can't solve that riddle of just move forward, which we've seen D. Gomes have been able to do against Bruno Brazil and against one Yasmin Hauregi taking that. Oh, as a really, really big underdog. You can't stress that enough. There's a lot of fighters on this card who've come through as massive underdogs. Gomes is one of them. Elvis Brenner is the other. And I get a little bit on that one later, but... When I do look at this one, I think Hill's going to be able to get it done on the outside. Trains with a very good gym at Alliance MMA. Jenna Bishop with the BJJ. Jessica Penny as well. So we'll see how this one plays out, but I'm going to go with Angela Hill here. I'll take the hometown hero. I, I was thinking about Angela Hill because I do think she has a skill set to go out there and win this fight. But I worry about her durability if D. Gomes is able to get on the inside and hit her with some big shots because Gomes has proved that she is more than a capable puncher at this stage of her career. And if Hill is starting to have some of those susceptibilities in her game, then I could see Gomes going out there and getting a big win. Again, Gomes' UFC debut was on 11 days notice. The lost to Loma on me, so not a full camp in that one. She also has experience at Bantamweight, Flyweight, and now at Strawweight. Does D. Gomes We're split on the pick let us know who we have in the matchup. Some big time fights in this card, Matt. Almeida taking on Lewis in the marquee. You're not going to want to miss it. Keep it locked in with fight name picks. We always say, let's get into it. <laughs> Ryan Tannehill looking to keep on making good on that second opportunity. We have Modestus Bukowskis already 2-0 in that second stint with the promotion and he's looking to move it forward against the undefeated knockout artist or is he? It's Vitor Petrino. Matt, there's some featured artists or some featured fighters on this card. Obviously, Charlton Almeida is one of them but then you have a couple of guys at a CM system and that's Vitor Petrino and Eliseu Zaleski Dos Santos. They're a lot of buzz. They're getting a lot of promotion from the locals in Brazil. They're doing a lot of photo ops as well. Those three men. And this is one of them. I mean, Vitor Petrino is such an interesting guy. Starts off his pro career. Knocks out Adolfo Bellotto. Let's run it back on Contender Series. Knocks him out again. He gets into the UFC. He has a fight of the night grappling match without a finish. It's Anton Terkali, But so far in the UFC for Petrino, it's been nothing but wins. The Turcali win in his last time out, he solved the riddle that is the outside striker, Marcin Pracnio. Pracnio looked really good in the first he round. Did. Petrino's hands started to drop quite a bit. He couldn't get the takedown in the first round. He was able to rally through it a close second round. But in the third round, Petrino getting the submission win over Pracnio. So when it does come down to this one, it very much is clash of styles. Petrino is aim big, miss big, uh, to the nth degree. I remember when we were kids, Matt, we used to talk about our favorite baseball players, and we always tried to replicate their swings. And we'd sit there and we'd do the the big hurt, the Frank Thomas. Gary Sheffield. The Gary Sheffield, always moving his bat. But I remember... We'd always try and unsuccessfully do the Jason Giambi, and about halfway through your swing you let go and you just have the top. We end. weren't on Mexican supplements like pull, he was then. Pull the bat through it was in Japan. It was just a sushi. Oh, yeah, for sure. But I v- sushi all the time. I'm Vitor not a big guy. Petrino's one of those guys to where he swings big when it's on the feet. Wait, and if he misses, me. he tires himself out quite a bit. And we saw Pracneo out there kind of pip, pap, doing a little I bit of that. Hip, hot a hippie, a jibby on the outside and petrino didn't really have an answer for it to where he was eating the leg kicks he has a really high muay thai guard he's getting hit a lot to the stomach you've got bukowskis by the sounds of it then he's drawing his hands down petrino really did struggle but if he gets the takedown he can really get wins out there and if you can go out there and grapple for three rounds against Turkali, it really does say something so for petrino a really interesting slew of wins a lot of finishes for bukowskis again First run in the UFC didn't go all that well. There were a couple of chintzy decision losses. It was punctuated by Khalil Roundtree taking a knee home with him. So Bukowskis goes away. He fights over with Cage Warriors where he was once champ. And he becomes the champ again. He gets that big time win. You'll remember it against Chuck Campbell. And as that last round of their fight's going on, he lands that big right hand as Campbell's backing away. Gets a finish. Now Bukowskis, a winner in the underdog slot against Tyson Pedro. And his last time out, he gets another decision win over Zach Ponga. Now, I'm not here to say that that's one of the chintzier decisions. Was it as bad as Fury versus Ngannou? I don't know. But it had me... In an uproar and there was quite a bit of fervor out there on the Twitter sphere at the time. Now it's X. So Bukowskis, again, he's had a lot of these close decisions. We know him as a multiple-time British kickboxing champ. We know him for training with his father, Gintus Combat, you know, Gintus. But for Bukowskis in this camp, training at a close by gym and training with some really big fighters as well, Matt, I'll let you kind of cook on this well, one, but it, it's an interesting kind of clash of styles here. I've really hard time with this matchup because Bukowskis has all of the tools he needs to go out there and win this fight. And you set it up. He's able to stay on the back foot, use his movement, mix in some of the kicks. Probably don't throw a lot of them though, to be honest, because if one of those does get caught, Petrino's so strong in that top position that even though Bukowski is not a bad grappler by any means, Petrino's still probably going to be strong enough to hold him in a lot of those positions especially if he does get wrist control up against the cage but that's the big issue i have with this fight Bukowskis does a great job of moving his feet, but his back can still be on the cage as he moves his feet, and if that's the situation he finds himself in, it does make Petrino's job a little bit easier to help cut that cage off, make the takedowns easier to then go for, but that's the hard time I have with this fight. Bukowskis is one of those fighters where if he hit 15% harder, he's the best fighter in the world, because if he had that kind of power that really forced fighters to get off him to where they couldn't chase him down and try to close the distance up against the cage, I think he would be like a bad mf It's just the fact that guys don't seem to have that much respect for the punching power coming back their way. He can hit them with clean shots, and they are clean shots. He's got great technique, but they're not always going to hurt them, rock them. And that's the thing. If he could hurt Petrino, really rock him, and keep him from just that constant forward pressure, then I think we could see a really nice performance from Bukowskis. But that's what the fight comes now, down to. bolato hit him clean and dropped him in their second matchup, and then Petrino stormed back and knocked him out. But still, do you just think Bukowski shouldn't try to hurt him? My point is, if he hurts Petrino, it's gonna make his job that much easier circling away and avoiding some of those takedown attempts and the power shots as well. I don't think not hurting a guy, Craig, is a bad idea in a fight. Scoring goals, you you win the game. When you what do we this... talk about on this? Who scores the most goals is gonna win? Bukowski's Matt in this matchup, again, I talked about him, you know, he's always trained under his father. He's always represented Lithuania and England quite proudly. But for this one, he's training at a BST MMA. I'm going to go BST MMA. Well, you probably saw the graphic. Blood, Sweat, and Tears MMA. I'm going to name a gym. I'm going to make it awkward. It's like Load and Reload from Metallica. Look up what the cover art is on those ones. But when you consider this matchup, Bukowska's training with Cage Warriors' top man. He wasn't able to get the middleweight strap. But Will Curry, a very, very good fighter. And Lithuania's own Arunas Andraskevist. A hard name to pronounce also at a Lithuania. When it does come down to this one, Matt, Petrino is a very, very big favorite. We have to look at the topology votes. Always in the underdog role is Bukowskis. I'm going to say over under 80% Petrino. I think they'll be under 80, but it'll be the favorite. And it's over. So 1,296 total votes, 83% Petrino, 24% by decision, 64% by knockout. For the 17% that are Bukowskis to win, 72% by decision. Matt Modestus Bukowskis, 15 and 5. You look at his losses, he has been finished by TKO in three of those losses Roundtree, Jimmy Crute, John Redman, and Pavel Dorfe. That one was by heel hooks, not by knockout, but it's been a while, and he's one of those guys that it really does match up. Okay, it's the fitness and the conditioning we got, like Bukowskis. And it's just that all-encompassing power of a guy like Petrino. I think Petrino gets him down early, though. It it does even the odds in that factor, because it's not going to allow Bukowskis to just evade a lot of those takedown attempts, which is going to force Petrino to burn that much more gas. And it's going to make Bukowskis try to waste a lot more energy to get back up to his feet. And that's why it's a hard fight to predict, because I do have Petrino in the fight, uh, I'll say that right now. But if Bukowskis can just... Defend a lot of the takedowns, but that's where I'm going to stop on this. I don't think it's going to be the most aesthetically pleasing fight because I think we're going to get these guys stuck a lot. I think Petrino is going to be going for takedowns against the cage. I think Bukowskis is going to have those like kind of underhooks. I think we're going to get some clinch work out of these guys for a large portion of it. The difference is, though, I think Petrino is going to be the one activating or at least engaging a lot of those positions. And if he's the one going for takedowns and Bukowskis isn't hitting him with like Travis Brown ass elbows, then I think Petrino is going to get a decision if he's not able to get the finish. From my notes, a minute and five seconds. Six- seconds left of the first round where Petrino's taking on and pragnio Belly breathing, waist hands, Petrino, round two, 20 seconds in, Petrino flips a Pragno takedown attempt and gets it into Patrino's world and he does a good job on top. I mean, I've kind of harped on it for a really long time with Bukowskis going back to his fight against Nasiglia with Cage Warriors to the fact that Bukowskis didn't have good takedown defense his first run through with Cage Warriors. It's gotten a little bit better as his career's progress. so Petrino can't get them early and he tires himself out, you could see another Bukowskis fight similar to the Tyson Pedro re-entry at UFC 284 earlier on this year. I'll ever so slightly go with Petrino, but to see the odds where they're at and see the crowd where they're at, it just leaves me cause for concern as all. In this one, both of us going with Brazil's Vitor Petrino to get the win. A big time fight, Matt. The next one on the card. A fun one. Oh boy, you know what it is. And you're not going to want to miss it if you don't. So keep it locked in with Night Apex, we always say. Let's, Let's get into it. it. Clash's Styles at Welterweight. Coming up this weekend, Eliseu Zaleski de Santos looks to turn away another wrestler. That really is the story of this fight. But I know a lot of people are excited about it. Gladiator Renat Fakradinov, this guy has really taken the world by storm. He's 3-0 already in the UFC. You remember him from Dana White's looking forward to a fight where he landed a clubbing overhand right against UFC vet Eric Spicely. Finished him, and then he's able to springboard into the UFC and wins over Andreas Mikhailidis. Brian Battle with a close in tight right hand that drops Battle in the third round. And then his last time out against returning knee braces own Kevin Lee, and he's able to go out there, land that same right hand, and drop him. And Matt, her being gave Kevin Lee a little bit of time. He did. But in for a penny, in for a pound, Kevin Lee was out, and that was a disgusting submission win. For Renat Fakradinov, so now he gets a big opportunity to take on another name at 170 in Elzeu Zaleski de Santos, and Elzeu went on a run like none other oh. years ago, where he was able to punctuate it with some really like a big Michael wins. Michael Red 2003, 2004 kind of a run. I think of the Curtis Millender win that gets him against Li Jingliang, that gets him finished Sean Strickland's like, excuse me, I'd like a mention right now. He got knocked out by Elzeo. Why would I say Curtis Miller that then gets him a fight against Lee Jinglong? He beats Curtis Miller and then he fights Lee Jinglong. In the overall gravity of things, he goes on a crazy win streak. I buried the lead. The Sean Strickland fights before the Curtis Miller fight. So a giant win over the now middleweight champ, down to 170, where Elizeo's able to throw that crazy spinning wheel kick, and he's able to get that win. But if you look at it, it's Strickland, it's Vendramini, it is Millinder. And then... It's gone kind of squirrely. Elizeu's had a USADA suspension between his Benoit Saint-Denis win, his fight against Abubakar Magomedov, his last time out, it's a split decision win. And he's really kind of just gone off balance with things, so to speak. So for Elizeu, it's defending the takedowns. It's keeping things standing. It's landing really good combinations. But if you look at Elizeu, two of his last three fights, not including the Benoit Saint Denis fight, it's a loss by split decision to Muslim Salakov. It's a win by split decision against Abubakar Nurmagomedov. His striking percentages and his output have been all over the place in those two fights, and now coming up against a premier wrestler, a guy who specialized in freestyle wrestling as a young man, in Renat Fakhrudinov, it could get difficult for another one of those marquee Brazilian fighters in this one. This is a really difficult fight for Zaleski to Santos, because he always needs distance to land the most devastating strikes that we've ever seen him land. He's someone who does like to load up on those shots. He does do a really good job of feinting from the outside, especially with his kicks to start landing his punches, because he is at his most effective when he's able to throw both. I wouldn't say he's a phenomenal boxer, like a 10 out of 10, and I wouldn't say he's the best just pure kicker of all time. He's got great kicks, don't get me wrong, but he is at his best when he's able to mix the two in combination, and that's where I think he's going to have a really hard time with this fight, because unless he starts throwing a ton of leg kicks and leg kicks are a part of his game don't get me wrong but he's gonna go to the body and go to the head a lot he's not a fighter who just goes out there and spams at the calf I think those leg kicks would help slow down some of that forward movement of a guy like Fakradinov and they're harder to catch too because that's another thing I keep on going back to Seleski loves that switch kick to the body it's very similar to Edson Barbosa it's a very fast strike for him and it's great that it's fast but if he does start to tire in that second and third round because that's the biggest thing i think we have seen out of zaleski dos santos since i'd say like the muslim Salakov fight i'd say just because he is getting up there a little bit he starts to throw those shots a little bit heavier as the fight continues and that's what i worry about because early on i think he's still really accurate can still have really good pop in his shots but if he does start to labor if those movements are a little bit slower from that long distance is that going to allow fakradinov to land some of those shorter counter shots like you bring up well they actually rallied in that fight against ububakar Nurmagomedov. he did but again it it wasn't a fight where it's like he was landing a ton of offense early. The most of the time, it's a fight where Zaleski Dos Santos has to land those longer range shots, guys get on the inside, give him some trouble, they Didn't get that distance back. Yeah, Salikov in the matchup where he's taking on uh, Elizeo Zaleski de Santos. Salikov off the back foot. It's a lot more boxing from Zaleski. And likewise, in the Nurmagomedov fight, you're defending takedowns at the start. Both guys become boxers in those two fights against Nurmagomedov. 42 of 113 for 37% significant strike percentage for zaleski and then again against salikov 46 to 138 that's good for 33 it might surprise people that zaleski in his 10 and 3 ufc run a lot of bonuses years ago 41 percent is his just resting significant strike percentage rate so a lot of hit but a lot of miss as well and when you're taking on a guy like Dinov you got to have that takedown defense it's 65 percent takedown defense for zaleski over a large sample size so again for a guy like if you know him as the GFC middleweight champ. He got that win over Alberto Uda that was in the UFC. He beat a decent level of competition coming up. It was always going to be a question mark of what does his gas tank look like down at welterweight because that was a big jump from 185 to 174. Fakradinov, but it hasn't looked that bad. And he's training out of a really big gym, an American Top Team now. Uh, Rodrigo Nascimento is on this card, is at that gym, as well as Dennis Tolulin. So a little bit of mixing it up with those two guys. For Zaleski at a CM system with Vitor Petrino was on the fight before this. So when we do have a look at the fight, Matt, again, it is a clash of styles. A guy kind of up there in the twilight of his career. He's not favored to win this fight. The favorite is Renat Fakradinov. We have a look at topology. I'm going to say over, under, 90% Fakradinov here. Probably over. And it is slightly that over. That breaks so 1,334 total votes, 92% Fakradinov, 47% by decision, 29% by knockout. For the 8% that have Zaleski. So you're saying there's a chance. 70% having to win by decision. Matt, we haven't seen Fakradinov lose since, what was it, 2014. He's won 17 fights in Pretty a row. Pretty impressive, I'd say. Does he make it 18 fights in a row? I got to be honest, in a lot of these, you have kind of the older fighter with a bigger name versus the younger guy who they're trying to make. it. And not like, Renat is 32, you know, he's in his prime right now. I'd say he's at a good spot in his career. You think, hey, there's three or four, maybe even five ways that that older veteran has those niches in their game to where they can go out there and win. I have a hard time with that, thinking about how Zaleski wins this fight, because he does have good up-the-middle attacks, I'd say, but he's not somebody who's all that known for throwing a heavy uppercut. He'll throw knees to the body every now and then, but I do worry that those are just going to be, kind of help Fakradinov take him down, if anything, and eliminate half his base. I've got Fakradinov in the matchup, and I do just think stylistically this is a tough one for Zaleski. Fakradinov leads with his head, and he, he holds his head and everything ahead, so yeah, if you had the knees up the middle, like your are Derek Lewis against uh, Delete, Lima, ATT zone. You can do it. If you throw a lot of the uppercuts, Fakradinov throws a lot of kicks of his own. True, true. But he leaves them really naked. And as soon as he goes to throw leg kicks, he drops his hands and he'll go to throw punches when he's off balance and planted off a kick. So it really will look like a guy that's completely unwound. And Zaleski could capitalize on that. I do think that Fakradinov will be able to go out there, utilize those takedowns, and really force himself upon Zaleski to make it a boring, grimy, type of fight where he's able to wear out his opponent. so in this one matt both of us going with the gladiator Renat, fokker dinov to get the win against some big time fights on this card the bomb brothers they're fighting and you got gabriel bomb taking on nicholas dalby in that co-main event you're not going to want to miss it keep it locked in with fight night picks as we always say let's get into it Two big wins in the UFC for the former 300 Sparta Bantamweight champ, Daniel Marcos, nickname of Sankora. And what does that get you? Anybody? How about a debuting guy whose nickname is Striker? It's fucking terrible. It's Victor Hugo, Matt. Brazil's Tobias Funke. Would you agree with me there? Uh, yeah, I would agree. I oddly enough never know knew that reference. Never knew it in the shower, <laughs> Tobias Fionke. But Matt, Vic- Daniel Marcos was originally spe- scheduled to take on another Daniel. Daniel Willycat. And Willy how Cat. good of a fight would that have been? Willycat's out of the fight and in on short notice, October third, it was announced by uh, A. G. What was it? A G yeah, A G fights that in is Victor Hugo Striker. So Matt, when you do look at this fight, I mean, Victor Hugo has a ton of experience from outside of the UFC. He certainly He's does. riding a giant win streak. He's fought some pretty big names as well. And you can find a lot of his fights pretty easily on the YouTubes. You can find it on uh, Fight Pass as well. And of course, he did just recently fight over on Dana White's Contender Series. Now his last time out, he took on Chile's own Eduardo Matias Torres. Not Count. long ago at all. And in that matchup, he got a giant win, one of those leg locks, and he gets a submission win. And when I look at Victor Hugo, I thought, geez, you know, the guy's 30 years old, he's almost 31, he's 24-4. and Boy, I wonder what Dana White said after that fight. And sure as shit, he threw out one of his really good quotables. So I will quote Dana White. I can't wait. You know, I've got to be honest with you. I was up in the air about Victor in the beginning. He's 30 years old. Um... And that pause is not just for dramatic effect. Dana White made a really big pause. He said, but he beat a young guy in his, or sorry, a young, in his prime, talented guy who was 16 and won, uh, finished him. And then he went on to say he's on a 13-fight win streak. So Dana White doesn't like signing 30-year-olds, but just about everybody on Contender Series this year got contracts, including losers. Victor Hugo's in the UFC. What I can tell you about this guy is he is a very impressive fighter that should have been in the UFC anyway. The one thing I found really interesting was in the pre-fight UFC video, or sorry, the pre-fight Dana White's Contender Series video, Victor Hugo said this that was translated. I think I can compete, or I can hang with the top five in this division. Not a chance. I don't think he can. I like at all. the confidence. Victor Hugo's fast and loose on the feet. He's got a giant overhand right, and he can land it to it's great. He's got a nice effect. left hook, too. He can drop just about any fighter. On the in-betweens, he's a little bit laggy. He holds his hands incredibly low. There's a few fighters on this card that hold their hands at chopper height. Victor Hugo is one of those guys. Even below chopper height. We're just hanging out floating rolling, in the wind. Rolling, rolling. Now, Hugo throws really good kicks. He can get those hands up when he needs to to defend a little bit, but he is pretty hittable. He has really good uh, bevy of takedowns, and he's really forceful when he gets the fight down in the the match. And his jiu-jitsu is really good. He's got multiple wins by heel hook. He's got the knee bar win out there as well. He will take that knee home with you. Now, the craziest thing about Victor Hugo is you're 30 years old. You've had long layoffs at spots in your career. When he beat Cristiano Cruz not that long ago, I'll throw a picture up there. He beat him in a shopping mall. Hey, Mom, I want to go get the Cinnabon. How about hey. watching bloodshed in a canvas in the food court of a mall? We've both been to the West Edmonton Mall. They could probably host fights to that place. They used to have practices for the That's Edmonton what I Oilers. mean. Like, it's a big... Mo- so, depending on what kind of a mall those fights were held in, it might be a really nice venue. But Victor Hugo, but- he represents Astra Fight Team. That's already a big gym. You saw Astra Fight Team have Tyler Santos in a title fight. She's since left the gym. Obviously, things haven't gone well with her in that gym. But Victor Hugo is one of those guys that I think can make not just this fight interesting, even though it's on a few weeks' notice. But when you look at what Hugo does well... And then you look at the in-betweens that Daniel Marcos is good at. I think this is going to be a really good fight. I couldn't agree more. I'm really excited for this fight. Because you weren't up until the, I think I can be in the top five. And I'm like, I don't agree with it, right? Like, I don't think Victor Hugo can fight guys in the top five right now. Bantamweight's one of the best divisions in the UFC. But I think he can get to that point if he can keep on making improvements. But he does have to make those improvements sooner rather than later. Because if you do look at every individual component of of his game... There's not a lot of negatives I can bring to it. You're right to bring up the striking defense, and that was something that really did stand out. Not that he seems to be hittable because he does do a decent job defensively. You bring it up. He can get the hands up, he can roll with shots when he is uh getting landed on. But if you look at his offensive striking, he can land left hooks to the body and leg kicks, he can land nice overhands. He will, like you say, get a little bit fat with his movements and prioritize the power over just the technique and have a little bit of loop to his shots. But if you trim some of that off, I, I think there is a lot of positives like, to build on that's all i not that i think he can beat a guy like daniel marcos on short notices daniel marcos is fifty to zero for, on purpose like daniel marcos is a very very talented fighter in his own right daniel marcos fought nobody in his native Pro to become the 300 sparta champ then he goes over on contender series fights brandon lewis drops him in the third round finishes simon Oliveira, and then his last time I out mean. a split decision win over Davy, who's still in the Navy, Davy well, Grant. Good. Significant strikes in that fight were 70 to 48 in favor of Grant. Grant also got a takedown in that fight. Exactly. And Marcos won that fight. It's very, very chintzy. But if you look at a guy like Victor Hugo, you can go back and watch his fight at Sicario MMA Ford, where he's taking on Whitson. Yes, Whitson Costa. Victor Hugo, he's wearing pants. He was wearing pants. It's a questionable decision. He wins that fight, and again, that big overhand right against a much bigger opponent. He finishes Costa. You can watch his fight with Pancrase 311 against Shinsuke Kame. In the first round, big takedown, gets it early. In the second round, a huge overhand right, knockdown. His opponent pops right back up to his feet, and then Hugo goes and gets a takedown. In the third round, he looks great. He gets a takedown, he gets a finish. Hugo is good in all of the areas of the mixed martial arts. I can say that confidently because the tape's out there and you can find it easily. He's also competed at welterweight, super lightweight, lightweight, featherweight, And Bantamweight. I don't know how he makes Bantamweight. Well, I do, because he's 5'7". But Victor Hugo, a guy who's been a pro since 2011, reminds me of a guy that used to fight at flyweight. Now he fights with cage warriors. He's with every single promotion. He's fighting at Bantamweight. He's all over the damn place. Who is it, Matt? Not your favorite fighter. Not Jared Brooks. That's who I thought you were. Wilson Hayes. He reminds me a little bit of a Wilson Hayes. He is, yeah. You're great. His striking's more complete, though. Like, Wilson Hayes. You got a hell of a record. But I don't know if you can do it against those upper echelon guys now Wilson did it and he got to the top 15 He got a title shot. I don't know if Victor Hugo can do it But this is what scares me a little bit. Daniel Marcos He's either on and he's hitting on all those half beats or he's not and you look at the different gyms that Daniel Marcos has trained with from Peru To contender series. He moved himself to the States without the help of his family. They stayed in South America Daniel Marcos paid his own way to contender series and then he ends up getting that big-time shot in the UFC He's beaten Simon Oliveira, the front choke submission specialist, and his last time out. Even if you have a win by split decision over Davey Grant, if you can make it competitive, I don't think he won that fight. But even if you beat Davey Grant, okay, that's pretty big. Now, did the UFC think much of it? No, because they matched him up against Daniel Willycat. So ultimately, it doesn't mean all that much. But Daniel Marcos training out of now, and I gotta say it, the Institute of Human Performance on black there you also have mma science academy and the pack fight team with landon quinones and roger crawl those are important now when i hear institute of human performance Matt, my it, mind uh, automatically goes to the inception of festivus for the rest of the world it's like the human oh, fun i think of when there was a documentary that came out with chael son and Fawn anderson silva the second time and chael who lives in oregon right he was like I'm training at the Nike Institute. And me as a kid thought that was the craziest thing ever. Like, wait, an MMA fighter has Nikes? And then Craig Allen as an adult bought the four-pack Revolution Chill Sun and Book. That really exists. <laughs> do you got it yet? Do you in have the, the four-pack? It's in the room next to us here. But Matt, when I do look at this fight, Daniel Marcos, what does he do really well? This is what the people came for really good straight shots his boxing is oh, yeah. really good his leg kicks are great and he's very defensively sound good defensive when or good defenses when it comes to his wrestling he's great in the scrambles and he can keep it standing to where he can win out victor hugo is sneaky very sneaky and we saw a fighter very recently how to shoot the box diego lima try and shoot for one of those knee bars you know those knee bars And you don't get in a great spot. The Hugo fight where you see him go for a knee bar, the fight against Christian Cruz, he's able to go out there. And I know, you know, it's considered a heel hook win. But where he gets that knee, gets it outstretched. You see it against Khan over there on Contender Series. This guy just somehow wraps these up, but doesn't get hit. So you always have to worry about that. Not just there, but also if he's able to scramble out of a bad position and get on top, he's got good ground he does. and he can threaten with a lot of things. So I think he's fast and loose with his defensives, and he could get hit quite a bit by Daniel Marcos, but by the same breath, I think Victor Hugo is one of the more appealing underdogs that's on this card, and Hugo's a pretty big underdog in this spot. On the short notice, he's the slightly older man, both of them 30, but a little is bit wild, yeah older is striker Victor Hugo. When we have a look at the topology votes, Matt, I have an idea where they're going to be, just off a guess. I think I know. I'm going to say over under 80% Daniel Marcos. I don't think people are going to be sharing the zest that I I'm have. I'm saying 70%, Marcos, so I'm going to say under. It's slightly Let's under what go. I said, but it, if, we're, if we're playing like a I'm Price is Right, no, no, you still, no, still won. 79% of Marcos to win, 80% by and decision. I think it's fair. For the 21% that have Hugo, 46% have him to win by submission. So... The fans probably only watch this Contender Series fight where you get a submission win. And they're looking at his last two fights and like, this guy's leg lock specials. Who is he? Brett Johns? Put them tangs on him though. He also did threaten in the first round his last time out against Collin with a calf slicer like he was Brett Johns. But when I look at this fight, Matt, after watching the fight tape, I just kind of found myself down a rabbit hole. And I, I give Victor Hugo a bigger edge. We're really putting him over odds. right now. No, no. We're the like odds Hulk the and, at 05. I think this fight's going to be really close. I to do say. too. And hopefully we did give Hugo his flowers because I do think he's a really exciting prospect. If he still is categorized as a prospect, he's over 30. So it's questionable. But Is Nathaniel Wood still a prospect? <laughs> not my IC8. But he's been around the block time and time again. Uh I wanted to pick Hugo because I was so excited by the tape, but then I talked myself back down, right? It's on short notice. And when Marcos is on, I do like his game. You know, the leg kicks are impressive. The straight shots are nice, like you bring up. And he can throw in a good output. I know Davey Grant had that edge over him the last time out, but that was Davey Grant firing on all cylinders, right? He's got a lot left in the tank, to quote Mark Henry. So I've got Daniel Marcos in this fight. But this is one where even if Hugo loses, I don't think he loses any stock from it, right? I think this could be a fight of the night contender type matchup where both guys leave this, uh, in pretty good shape and i made a mistake earlier i said victor hugo the fight was announced on the third and i couldn't find it up in my notes he fought on the third yeah he it was three beat weeks ago. and then on october 10th the fight was announced by ag fight that victor hugo would be taking this fight i'm gonna go with marcos ever so slightly i think those straight shots down the middle could win it for him But this is a question mark kicks fight. I want to see these two guys square off. And you very well could see me. I know it's a bad sell. On Saturday, switch the pick. Because in my head, it's pretty darn close to 50-50. Let us know who you have down below in this fight. Let us know how much you enjoyed the tape study from both of these men. And make sure you check out the rest of these videos. Matt, the next one. This is going to be a close one. It's a Elvis Brenner is taking on Esteban Ribovics. You're not going to want to miss it. Keep it locked in with Fight Name Picks, we always say. Let's Let's get 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 into into it. it. 2023 Cinderella story continues on, Matt. Elvis Brenner. Blue hair don't care. That was me in our UFC 290 videos because I said I'd dye my hair blue on Twitter if Elvis Brenner beat Guram Katatalaadze. Well, apparently lightning strikes twice. Brenner off of giant underdog wins over Zubara Takagov. Happy trails. Get out of the UFC. And the never healthy, but still trying, Guram Katatalaadze. Now Elvis Brenner gets... I don't know if I'd say an easier fight, but he gets a fight against El Gringo. It is Esteban Ribovics. Between these two guys, twenty-eight finish wins. And my Ribovic's off of his first decision win, his first He's UFC wild. win over Camwella Kirk, where he was able to rally back. First round, dealing with a little bit of the grappling of Kirk. But again, happy trails. See you later, Camwella No longer in the UFC. And Ribovics gets to move forward. This is two premier gyms up against each other. Killcliffe FC for Ribovics. You have Brenner training out of Shoot the Box, Diego Lima. And Matt, for Elvis Brenner's last time out there against Guram, he drops the first round. In the second round, between the he second and the third, like his blonde hair is red. But in the third round, you saw that big left elbow in tight Brenner drops Guram down he cowers up and Brenner's able to pull away and get the never seen just Cinderella story I can't say it enough win Samat so for Brenner coming into the UFC why has he been such a big underdog because he wasn't all that impressive. I know he comes out of fair a, to bring up I know he is, I know he comes out of a big gym, but every big gym has fighters that aren't all that great. Anderson Silva once had a protege named Marcos Mariano. And he ended up 6-6 six and, six and outside of the UFC. He was awful. Shoot the box, Diego Lima. Not everybody's a peach like Charles Oliveira. Every now and again, you get a thunder gun like Thomas Almeida that flames out near the end. So when I look at a guy like Elvis Brenner, he struggled in some of the grappling exchanges. He struggled against some of those more technical strikers on the regional scene. Got that dog in him, though. But again, he does have that resolve, and we've seen that recently. Brenner, the other two wins before that, Adilson Ramos, a submission win, and... Uh, Victor Nuñez, who was three and one to come into the UFC to pick up those wins, Brenner's been a very big surprise. And when you look at these two guys, just numbers on a page, and when you consider their 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 acumen and their striking, Elvis Brenner is a jack of all trades, and Esteban Ribovics, man, we've seen the takedown defense tested we his had. last three fights, and it's it's kind of funny. And I'll mention some of the numbers. It's actually held up, even though he's been taking out a ton, which is a weird thing to say. But his striking, man, he picks his shots. And his body work, and and then to go to the head, it is quite good. So... I think this is going to be an awesome fight, Wallace. And that's what I really like about Esteban. Once he notices a weakness in your defense, he can go back to that well, and he does a good job of hiding it too. He's not just going to overthrow that one technique. I thought Esteban was going to come to the UFC and, like, change people's minds of what you could (laughs) do as an MMA fighter. I really thought he was going to be a great prospect, and not that I I don't think he could reach that potential at a certain point, but for Esteban, the takedown defense does worry me at the highest level, right? At the lightweight division, you got to fight a lot of guys who are really good at wrestling at a certain point, and if his his take their defense doesn't improve because the big issue i have with esteban's game is if he hurts you he can get a little wild and if he gets a little wild after he hurts both you guys can they both can but still hear me out if esteban hurts you and then gets wild with it if you are that plus wrestler how many fights do we see kevin lee win where he got hurt was wobble, and then all of a sudden shot for the legs. It's an issue I think Esteban might run into if he does uh, move up the rankings, and it's something that it might not affect him in this fight, but if he does notice, he does start to get wild. That's when the takedown defense really does become a massive liability for him, but this is going to be an awesome fight. This is a fight where I think both guys show up as the best versions of himself, and might kind of get rid of the idea of, oh, their level of opposition wasn't amazing on the UFC, because if they fight each other and put on a great fight, then I think it does kind of solidify both men's spots. Well, I mean, uh, Guru how good was he really? He he fights the level of his competition. He burned himself out early and you don't want to make any excuses because Elvis Brenner was able to capitalize, finish him. He gets a performance bonus. He hits as a giant underdog and he sits as a giant underdog in both matchups. Regardless of what you thought the score was in the Takugov fight, if it was 30-27 Brenner, I'd be scratching my head, but it was on one of those scorecards. Again, Gribovic struggles against the takedowns we saw Rajabov land 11 takedowns Kamala Kirk had success Thomas Paul was trying for them but Ribovic's with a straight. the body shots are phenomenal. You bring them up. And, and when he's the, able to land them in combination with the head shots as well he does a really good the, job of mixing guys mix up the defense head to body. And he also switches stances and throws mm. a really nice left hook from either stance. So look at that from Ribovic's. But for Elvis Brenner where it gets really interesting he works the head and the body to great effect. He throws really good leg kicks. The knees to the body are a big thing. His takedown defense was the biggest X kind of against them coming into the UFC. And we haven't seen it tested just yet i don't anticipate it in this fight no. i think we're gonna get car crash striking and that's what makes it a lot of fun so matt this fight i mean it is aligned very very closely if you consider it for a guy like Ribovics, he has just the one ufc win he is the underdog he opened as a plus 150 he's a plus 120 right now so he's gained a little bit if we have a look at the topology votes surprise to us there to you brenner's got two big ufc he wins. does i'm gonna say over under seventy two and a half percent brenner i think it's gonna be under And it's over Over. 1299 total votes, 80% Brenner, 70% by decision for the 20% that have Gribovics, 61% by decision. So the fans don't anticipate a finish in this fight. The odds are closing in on Gribovics. Who do you have here? I felt like I was going to be a hipster and pick Rebovist, but I've got Brenner in the matchup. Again, I do like the steadiness, I think that's what's going to be most important. Esteban can get into a blitz or nothing category sometimes, and if you can start to anticipate and land on the in-betweens of some of those bigger shots, you can halt the overall striking, even though I do think the ceiling of his striking might be a little bit higher between these two guys. I just think it might also be a little bit more predictable if you're able to halt it before it gets going. So I do have Elvis Brenner, but I think it's going to be a fight of the night. I can't stress it enough, and if I say that, I don't think... it's gonna be one-sided right you've never seen a fight of the night where it's been 30 to 20 so i think it's gonna be a really close match if brenner loses this fight he looks like a diminished version of himself even in some of his wins on the regional scene you went how did he win that fight because he can get a little lethargic, he can get backed up behind the black line, he can get taken down, and he doesn't look like the guy that you've seen in the two UFC fights, especially his last fight. So in this one, I feel like it's a little bit of a hangover from the Guram win, being such a big name, now all of a sudden you're a favorite, you're favorite to beat Esteban Kribovic's Matt. The most important part about this fight, and us making picks on this, I picked 200 dogs at the start of this card where we split the picks, and you're up by one on the season lead, and it's for all the marbles at the end of it. Gimme another underdog, I'll take another one and Esteban Ribovic's in the matchup. I think he's gonna be able to show up to show out. And Argentinian MMA is awful. It's awful. Argentinians are terrible hey, in the UFC. Hey. But Rybovics is coming in off his first win, and I think he's going to get it done in this one. I think he's just a little it bit is. more technical, but it's Brazil versus Argentina. Do you know what the world was saying about Canada from, like, 2013 until a blip in 2017? In and what sport? Well, in MMA, it was tough. Roy McDonald in was, biggest And the world like stage is awful right now. It's That's terrible. what I mean. So, like, think about what Argentina is saying about us, too. I don't think people are gonna trash cannon in the comments and rightfully so just in general on the world stage it's bad right now but Matt we're split on the pick in this one I'm going Ribovics, you're going with Elvis Brenner some big time fights on this card including Almeida taking on Lewis in that main event you're not gonna want to miss it keep it locked in with Fight a picks we always say let's, let's get, get into, into it, it. And this is a get-right fight at Lightweight coming up this weekend. One half of the Flying bomb Fiend brothers looking to get back in the win column. Taking on Vince from Hell Pichéll, close to his 41st birthday, coming off a hip injury and looking to move the chains forward. And Vince Pichéll is such an interesting fighter because in the UFC, he's 7-3 and three and everybody forgets about him. He's able to go out there against prospects that Sneaky are up and right coming, on. and he's able to just them, And Pachelle's one of those guys that when you watch him fight, if I showed you a silhouette of Vince Pachelle, I think people would recognize him. A... You're gonna see the mustache. B. You're probably gonna see a really tall, upright boxer. But the thing that people forget about Vince Paschal is the wrestling. Exactly. And it comes in handy. It's in his back pocket. And over a 10 fight sample size in the UFC, averages three takedowns per 15 minutes. We saw it a little bit against Austin Hubbard. We saw it against Mark Madsen. He was able to get an offensive takedown in that one. Against Jim Miller as well. That's where Vince Pichel was able to shine. But when you look at a guy like this, you wonder, okay, well, where's he been? I listened to an interview that he did all-star sports own JHK MMA, and he said kind of after that madsen fight he had the hip injury that was nagging he got surgery he got a second surgery to clean it up and he was supposed to come back and fight this past summer but he was out of a scheduled fight now matt for vince peichel that's really interesting because who was he supposed to fight earlier on this summer benoit saint and who took that fight Ishmael Bonfim and Bonfim was out there he got beaten up he lost that one and Benoit Saint-Denis he's just a star to the rest of the world now out of France so for Pichel he's kind of touching on the fact with H.K. in that interview that there's a lot of things that you can kind of overcome with a guy like Bonfim and he leaves big holes this is going to sound bad It's like an ad for X videos that could be filled. So, a lot of holes that could be filled. So, a good opportunity. The other big thing for Vince Peichel in that interview that I found interesting, the kind of hook to get you interested, the first five seconds, the quotable is, straight up, it's finished or get fucked. So, Vince Peichel in the X videos comparison, (laughs) it's there. But for Peichel... He can be quite defensively sound, and he's good in pretty well all areas. Fridge Malbombe, you know him for that good amateur boxing, the good pro boxing. He's 14 3 as an amateur, or sorry, 24-3 as an amateur in boxing, a 4-0 as a pro. And if you look at it, you remember the big slump down, flying knee knockout win over Terrence McKinney. You can think of him as a finisher, and he is very dynamic, but this is another skill check against the vet. Like Renat Fokker, Dinov has against Elzey Zaleski earlier on in the card. It definitely is. The weird thing about Pichel, though, is I liken his game a little bit to the Cowboys defense. And this is why. This is a reference I hope people are going to get. The Cowboys defense are really good, right? They've got a great line of scrimmage and whatnot. But if you run it on them, teams have had success. And how I always look at Pichel is don't wrestle him. He might be a better striker than he is a wrestler, but it seems like every time guys tend to wrestle him, they just get tired going for those takedowns. He has great cardio, he's able to defend the majority of them, and then they are much more reduced versions of themselves in that second and third round, and that's where we can see Pichel completely take over in a lot of these matchups. It, no, every single one of Vince Pichel's lost in the UFC, no, no, all he'll three. he'll lose the third round. No, all three of his lost in the UFC because he's got out-wrestled. I my whole point is though he can threaten guys on the feet and guys have gone in there to just wrestle him and he's been able to overcome them how'd he beat Mark Madsen all he didn't beat Mark Madsen he lost but how do you have success in that matchup is my point all of these fights he's able to defend some of these takedowns he's like a poor man's ally Quinta there's a reason Michelle didn't fight guys in the top 15 if he was a poor man's ally Quinta you wouldn't have lost to him on the ultimate fighter 15 and end up losing the season to the eventual winner ally Quinta He's so, not a poor man's ally, Quinta. You think he's better than ally, Quinta? Well, one's still in the UFC. I, I, if Vince Pichelle was better than ally, Quinta, he would have won the fight against him. They're straight one, are straight two. He's not as good as ally, Quinta. He's a poor man's ally, Quinta, Craig, which means he's worse than him. He's less than. That's what I said! A poor man's. A poor man has less than. You've been drinking Dr. Pepper. You and Adrian Yanez. I don't think it's a winning combo. I don't understand what your issue is with some of these because they make perfect sense. Make an NBA comparison this Pichelle's like a good bench player you can only bring in for spot minutes because you worry about him in the long haul because he does have defensive liabilities who's the fucking pick in this fight matt i think bonfim's gonna have a lot of success on the feet to be honest with you i know the takedown defense has been an issue for Pichel, per for pichelle in the past but i do think the speed of bonfim's gonna give him the edge in this fight if you do consider this i mean pichelle's been a plus striker throughout his ufc career again he's seven and three and four reason even lost in that fight against Ali Quinta, ends up on the Ultimate Fighter 16 finale, and loses once more to Rustam Habilov. He gets slammed and he knocked out. out. In those losses, Madsen, Gillespie, and Habilov, he was taken down 15 times in those three fights, and he struggled. But he was able to beat guys like Joaquin Silvey, drop Damian Brown way back when. How did he when. Jim Miller, too? He, he defended those takedowns. was able to get offensive and- takedowns. I don't think he watched a single Vince Pichelle fight for this video. Craig, he also out-wrestled, like, out-wrestling Jim Miller means something. Does it not? I'm taking Ishmael Bonfim to win this fight I think his striking is gonna show up and I think he's gonna be able to get it done with that And only that in this fight against Vince Paichel a big matchup of gyms You have the ever-aggressive Serato MMA being Ishmael Bonfim You also have Factory X Muay Thai zone Vince Paichel and even going back to it Hip injury caused them out of the Yakovlev fight. It caused him issues after the Madsen fight We'll see how Paichel looks in this matchup. Make sure you check out that interview from JHK and the All-Star MMA. Some big-time fights on this card. The other Bonfim, Matt. Gabriel Bonfim taking on Nicholas Dalby in this matchup. On the top of this card in the co-main event. You're not going to want to miss it. Keep locked in with Fight Night Picks, we always say. Let's, Let's get it into it. it. The main card of UFC Sao Paulo. It's riddled with Clashes of Styles. This is the first one, Matt. Adolfo Vieta back in 2015 won the ADCC World Championship at 75 kgs. Armin Petrosian was an IFMA World Muay Thai Champ. When you look at these two guys, is one of the best competition jiu jitsu players of all time, and Armin Petrosian's one of the Muay Thai players of all time. On his UFC bio, Petrosian lists his hero as Giorgio Petrosian. Which is funny because Giorgio's brother's name is Armin Petrosian and Armin didn't want to go that way. So if you do look at this fight, Matt, Armin Petrosian, the former Muay Thai champ, the former Fight Nights Global light heavyweight champ. And so far in his young UFC career, he's been an underdog in some of these matchups. And he's been able to show up to show out wins over Gregory Hod- or Rodriguez, AJ Dobson, and a big spot against the former Cage Warriors champ, Kristen Leroy Duncan. Doing the striking... And Christian didn't really show up in that matchup. So uh, when you look at this one, Petrosian going to look to keep this fight up. Keep it standing. And for Adolfo Vieira, you'll remember him for performance bonuses over Dustin Steisfus. was Magomedov was able to do that he too. Was. And Cody Brundage. Now, let's go back to Adolfo's last fight. Cody Brundage is going to look at it and see a tale of two different fights. Brundage drops Vieira in the first round. Second round starts. Adolfo looking to get in there. Getting squarely. Trying to get squarely, get in close and get the takedown. Brenner's obliges by pulling guillotine. Adolfo gets up against the cage, arm triangle. That's all she wrote. Matt Adolfo Vieira again. I've said this earlier on in the card. In for a penny, in for a pound. This guy will snatch your neck like it's nobody's business. And we've seen it from Vieira. We touched on this from the very start of it. Can he get hit? Sure. Can he get dropped? Sure. You even go back to his fight against Beg Safarov as evidence where his eye swelled and swelled shut. He's able to get the takedown, get the trouble. submission, and didn't have to go from round one to round two for a doctor to look at it. Armin Petrosian on the other side. He's been taken down. Gregory Rodriguez was able to do that. Even in some of those earlier fights, and I know we've touched on it, Armin's got one of those... But Was that really a pro fight fight earlier on in his career that was brought into the record... Uh, you know, where you have a record scratch on Fight Finder with sure dog. But for Petrosian, to his credit, if he gets taken down, we've seen him get back up. We've also seen Petrosian look really crisp in the first round and then kind of wane as things go on. I think back to the third round against A.J. Dobson where Mark Coleman's yelling, Come on, A.J.! "Ah, Mark Coleman... Yikes, but Petrosian is a kicker to the nth degree, and on the back foot, he really does leave those spots to where if you can't get in, he will be there for that counter shot, so again, I can't stress it enough how big of a clash of styles this is, and it has to suck, big time, if Friday's weigh-in day, and it's also your birthday, so happy birthday to Armin Petrosian on weigh-in day, the morning's bad, but that night, I don't know if he has Lennox Lewis nights, but... That night, gorge yourself with the food. Indulge. I've a really hard time with this fight, and I kind of laughed when I saw that the odds were near even, because nobody has any idea what to do with this fight, and you bring it up. There are a number of clashes styles on this main card, and this one does lead it off to quite the start, right? Because if a Trojan's going to have any success, it's not going to be with his back on the mat, I can certainly tell you that. And... I Think both guys can have a cardio advantage by the third round That was the only thing I wanted to say not that either guy has great cardio But let's say Petrosian can defend a lot of those takedowns with more of the footwork than him Just trying to brute strength out of it with the underhooks. Then I do think his cardio is gonna look a little bit better than a guy in Hadolfo who might have to shoot for those takedowns from Longer away, but on the flip side the exact same thing can be said for Hadolfo If he's able to secure a couple early takedowns and really force Armin to get back up to his feet because that's what he is Really good at doing and to his credit. He does work to try to get back up to his feet, but if Adolfo's constantly grabbing those wrists and breaking them back down, it's just going to burn him out that much more, and that's why I think it's a weird fight, because both guys have an easy chance to win this in the first round. That's easy to say, right? Like, uh, Petrosian could win by first round knockout. It'd be crazy to see, but it could happen, and Adolfo could win by first round stoppage. But by the third round, I think it could get a little weird, just depending on how the fight looked up wow. until that point. And everybody remembers third round, Adolfo Vieira exactly. chasing takedowns against Chris Curtis, but you might not He's remember li- exactly against Brendage. He went one of six in takedown attempt in the first round, he got dropped in the first round, and that's still fresh. Now, for both of these guys, in terms of their camps, you look at Armin Petrosian at one point at American top team a little bit, cross-training. But for this one, Universal Fighters in Russia, and he's been training with Roman Kopilov and Anatoly Takov. And I think body-wise, Anatoly is a little bit like Adolfo Vienna. The guy's yoked up. And he beats most people over with Bellator. for Hadolfo Vieira, always at Fusion XL. Brazil to Fusion XL. But he's been bouncing around, really training with a lot of highly regarded folks. You'll see maybe Leoto Machida out there on his Instagram mixing it up a little bit. So, Matt, when you do look at it, you kind of mention it. I mean, the odds are pretty well at par in this matchup. We'll have a look and see where they started. Maybe we will, maybe we won't. We'll get back to you on that one. But when it does come down to it, the ever-important, the topology votes, let's see what the fans are thinking If it's close like that, I'm going to say over under 60%. I can't be your Superman. I can't be your Superman. I can't be your Superman. I'm Petrosian. I'm going to say 60% over under Petrosian. I'm going to say over. And it is over. 1,328 total votes. The fans, they've got Petrosian. 73% with Petrosian. 68% by decision. For the 27% that have Vieta, 76% by submission. Matt, years ago, two studios ago, one studio ago. I went outside and I had my phone in my hand and I took a video of myself going, I like Adolfo Vieta, like this guy's so hot right now. And he then was. he ended up losing to Fluffy Hernandez. I think Vieta Clubs and Subs is way into a win. Like uh years and years ago. Like it's gotta be awkward when you lose a fight and you lose a fight so handily. And then, on, like, years later, you fight on a card, and that guy's there. Kyle Bahalio's that guy. Spider-Man meme Firm and Petrosian. But years ago for Petrosian, the fight against Hassan Yusufi, who ended up with the PFL, uh, that was how he lost his belt over there. So, for me, I think it's going to be a fight like the Yusufi fight. I think it's going to be a fight like the fight against Kyle Bajalio. And I think Vieira's going to be able to get himself into position early and get the win over Petrosian. I've also got Adolfo in this matchup. It, it, people are probably going to roll their eyes at that, because I feel like I've never picked Petrosian on any of these. These videos and this is a really close fight it is one of the biggest uh clash mismatches that you will ever have so if Petrosian's gonna win like he could win a 30-27 and look completely amazing if he's just able to keep it on the feet and make Adolfo throw some of those long sluggish shots from the outside but I do think is gonna be able to get his way to the inside because you bring it up Rodriguez is able to take down Armin Petrosian and I don't think Rodriguez has the top game of a guy like Vieira like Adolfo's heavy in that top spot when he's able to get it is he gonna go 10 for 10 on his takedowns probably not but when he's able to get that position he does quite a bit with it so i agree with you on the pick if vieta flaps against that mat, and doesn't get those takedowns it could look really bad and petrosian could be able to <laughs> pull away let us know who you have in the matchup both of us going with brazil's hadolfo Vieira to get the win we get some big time fights okay. in this card almeida's taking on Derek lewis another big clash of styles you're not going to want to miss it keep it locked in with fighting a picks we always say let's get, get into it, it. another one of those clash of styles coming up this weekend a man who's perennially near the top of the card and a young ufc career we have the natural not robert redford it's kyle bohalio he's gonna be taking on abus Amagamatov and matt it all depends on when people watch this video it could be just before or on halloween and if it is Happy Halloween. And if it's after, well, you know what? The folks, they probably have a little bit of the loot at home. So I get, I get some Sour Patch Kids here. I got all the Maynard's greats. Uh, some Swedish Fish, if you want them. For American listeners, Smarties. You know, Smarties. It's been a while since I've had a Smarties. Well, then eat some. Go ahead. But for Kyle Bohalyu to make the references, I mean, Halloween, it's one of those things where you're able to squirrel that candy way. It's a little bit like Shutter Island. It's a little bit like Stairway to Heaven. It's a little bit like the show on Netflix, Midnight Mass. Kyle Bohalio has been a bit of a slow burn for UFC fans. And why do I say that? Because he's fought four times in the UFC. Three of those four fights have been co-main events, including his two first UFC fights. Now, the UFC's done a bad job with co-main events. And with Albus Magomedov, they've done a bad job with main events too. But for Kyle Bohalio, his last time out, it was a co-main event. And he took on... Hussar Michael Oshaychuk and he got his first UFC finish and he got a bonus and he looked amazing and now all of a sudden It's not a slow burn. You're right up there for Abus Magomedov, years ago People remembered him as that guy that really flashy striker with a really nice Anderson Silva front kick And by the way UFC debut did that against Dustin Strauss, but like years ago Magomedov I mean against Luis Taylor eating that left hook and going down eating Just untold punishment in the second round on Canada Day against Sean Strickland. And I'm not making this up. My wife, our in-laws, they were over. And our our backyard, the trees go down. And off the back deck, you can see downtown a great, great festive Canada Day fireworks show. As I'm sitting there watching the screen, what did I watch? I watched Sean Strickland get walked down for a round against Abbas Magomedov. And then I watched the beginning of a champion, Matt. Abbas Magomedov wilted under the pressure and had nothing left in the second round. So I'm a little bit surprised that for a guy that likes to take a lot of time off between fights, that he's back in That's there the so soon after getting clowned in the second round. And I know this sounds really harsh, but Magomedov looked terrible in that he second He did not round. look good. He looked awful. And I don't normally take that angle. He looked terrible. And for Kyle Bohalio, this is where it gets interesting. He's such an awkward striker. Whether it's from Orthodox or Southpaw, he's got that long-range, almost karate. We already mentioned, or I mentioned Machida in the last fight, training with some big fighters. Bohalio looks like a carbon copy. He's a grappler trying to imitate Lyoto Machida. He's got good kicks when he does does. decide to. He's got really nice odd angle punches. I don't think that's the way to do it against Magomedov. But we'll see how this one plays out with Magomedov, a UFD staple, training an American top team for this one, and Bojalio at his uh, combat club and fighting nerds down in Brazil. I think this is a really, really good fight, a really interesting fight, and a huge buy-low spot on Abbas Magomedov. It is a really big opportunity for both guys, because if Magomedov is able to go out there and beat this, uh, beat Bahalio, he does get back into that spot, right? Like, this is by far the best win he's had in the UFC. I'd say you'd rate this over the stage for win. So, for Magomedov, I know he didn't look good against Sean Strickland, but... At this point, like you said, we saw the beginnings of a change. If Trill out of Sonya didn't look <laughs> exactly. good against Sean Strickland. Like, guess what? You're not your best version when you fight that man, it turns out. Shawn Strickland's really good. But the two big points I wanted to touch on, I'll kinda of sh- I'll circle them back into yours. Mega Medoff did have a lot of success early on against Sean Strickland but once that distance started to get collapsed he didn't have an answer for as many of the boxing combinations of Sean Strickland not that Bahalio is going to go out there and close the distance in the same way to stay in the pocket but he could use the takedowns to close the distance and collapse that pocket in a very similar manner but you bring it up too his tendency to stand at range is going to open up a lot of the benefits of Mega Medoff and if Adliss is able to sometimes he won't put his back up against the cage even if he's in a beneficial position I will bring that up but if he is able to lean back Really let his kicks flow and th- throw some of those up the middle shots. Not only are they going to hurt Bahalio and hurt his gas tank to the body, but if he throws enough up the middle attacks, Bahalio is going to think, hey, I can't just shoot for takedowns against this guy unless I do eat one. And again, Magomedov fought good level competition with the PFL. He lost yeah, exactly. in the million dollar fight against Luis Taylor. He went back on the regional scene with EMC, gets a win over Slavisa Simonovic who was making his pro may debut it's He's a 40 for and 65 bosnian boxer and he had a first round 47 second kimura win for magomedov his next time out he took on one cesarish Keshik over at ksw 57 he gets a win there gets it by finish and then he blasts dust and again magomedov underdog in this role bohalio is favored i think the weirdest fight bohalio's had in the ufc is fight against You know who it is. Mahmoud Muradov. Where Muradov was going for takedowns. Bohalio wanted to strike with a really good boxer. It was just an oddball fight. Bohalio ends up getting the win. He is, again, favored in the matchup. We have a look at the topology votes, Matt. I'm going to let you set it because I feel like the odds are down on Magomedov because he looked bad against Strickland. In the second round, and he lost by finish. And I think the fans are going to have Bohalio, but I'll let you set I first. think like 85% for the natural. I'll say over 85%. Oh boy. 1298 total votes. 90% Bohalio. 31% by decision. 51% by submission. For the 10% that I'm Magomedov. 55% by knockout. Bohalio is fast and loose with the striking. We haven't seen it as much in the UFC, but if you watch his tape on the regional scene, you'll see it. He also, don't forget it, 2021 Dana White's Contender Series do to get two wins. The first one over their guy. Not Bellator's guy, but their guy. Canadian, Aaron Jeffrey. Wasn't good enough. So I do have Kyle Bajalio in this fight because I think, again, collapse the distance, get the takedown early like your Jaltan Almeida, and make it nasty against Abus Magomedov. But the one thing that I said earlier, Magomedov at ATT for this camp with a guy that he was supposed to fight, alias Kapizriyev, training with him, Magomed Magomed Karimov, and Kairula... Kartuliev, a guy who hasn't fought all that much, but has a winning record. But again, those two guys, Hezriyev and Magomed Karimov, are going to set you up well for a fight against Kyle Mahalio. They definitely will, but I do tend to have Bahalio in the matchup. Uh, probably by decision, though. I do think it's going to be hard to go out there and get a stoppage, even though he is such a talented fighter. But I bring it up on purpose. If Magomedov wins this fight, it's going to put him right back into that spot he was before the Sean Strickland fight. He's probably not fighting Sean Strickland in the main event of a fight night, because that would be weird for the middleweight title. But he could fight a Brad Tavares next. Just one of those guys who's in the mix and always has been. And I honestly think that for both guys. Whoever wins this fight, I could see them getting like a Brad Tavares type name. Because Trinkus Duplessis is a guy who I was thinking of, but he's far too high up in the division. And that'd be a bad matchup he's for He's popping his pants off and wearing a South he's America underpants with his buddy yeah, in front of the Eiffel Tower. And when it comes down to him at the UFC, they don't do gimmicky fights. That's why Francis and Ngannou went away. And that's why Abbas Magomedo have got a main event based on sure. merit and talent alone. So Matt, in this one, both of us going with Brazil's Kyle Bahaglio to get the win. Some big time fights left on this main card. Matt, I know that we're excited about that main event. Oh, yeah. made Almeida taking on Derek Lewis. You're not going to want to miss it. Keep it locked in with Fight Night Picks, we always say. Let's get, Let's get into it. it. If you're not ranked and you're a heavyweight, you can spar with John Jones, but you might get him out of the UFC 295 main event slot against Stepe Miocic, at least. That's what Lord Kong Dontale Maze was... Unfortunately, the training partner to have done defending the Jones takedown, tearing the pack But Dante Mays, he was also getting ready for a fight. And he's gonna be taking on Brazil, Zay Colmea, Rodrigo Nascimento. This is a guy who at this point, 10-1, the lone loss to Chris Dawkins. He was favored to beat dacus And since then, it's been an interesting ride. And for Dante Mays, apart from the John Jones fanfare. He knocked out the legend. One of the greatest heavyweights of all time. All the fights that he's had. The former champ, Andre Arlovsky. Dante Mays was able to go out there and finish him his last time out. So Mays gets to move forward. He gets to take on Nascimento. Nascimento, you'll remember. He's on a two-fight win streak, but you won't remember them. Why? Because they were awful fights. He has a split decision win over Tanner Bowser. And a split decision win over Alir Latifi. Matt, those fights don't put your name on a poster, but... Bucket. Let's put him on the main card right before the co-main event. Unranked heavyweights. They, for some reason, they court favor with the UFC. They and we him. get another spot here. So, Matt, I know every Dontel Mays fight I talk about something he never uses unless he's fighting Josh Parisian not just judo slamming that cop into Parisian's face time and time again and for Zay Komea what do we know for his boxing but it hasn't looked all that great and he's looked a little sluggish his last two fights and that is the disappointing thing to see because that was his X factor in the heavyweight division he's not a big kicker he's not the greatest striker of all time but his strikes are really fast when he's able to throw his boxing combinations and when he gets into range I like the way he's able to roll with some of the shots coming back his way but you're right to bring up he has looked a little bit sluggish and I do wonder if it's the threat of the takedown coming back his way Not that Lateef, he's the greatest fighter of all time, but if he was going to win that fight, he was going to use the offensive wrestling, and uh, I tear Bowser to a lesser degree, but still, he can go out there and get it done with the wrestling as well. I have a hard time with this fight, though, because for me, I thought Mays did look decent against Arlovsky, but there's also another part of me that says, is that just the end of line for Andre? Because Arlovsky was able to hold on for, like, eight extra years just fighting prospects, because he changed his style and he wasn't getting knocked out, right? He was much more of a volume-heavy guy. I, I just don't know if he can eat those shots anymore, so there's a part of me that thinks Dante Mays has put it all together and his boxing's good he's got nice hands he can also throw in combination but there's also a part of me that says hey andre oloski's really old and he's been in uh, more hard fights than anyone could ever is imagine is he steve win winning it is he hitting that higher love i mean he's a part could. of the champ camp now think about that champ camp maurice green is there and walt harris is there and listen i mean the athletic commissions the usadas of the world they're not his friend but when you look at it for rodrigo nascimento same thing can be said Go back three fights ago. It's a no contest on that Cementos record. He loses the first round to Alambadoa, a real thing that happens, and then he rallies through and finishes him in the second round. It's a no contest because the Nevada State Athletic Commission, a little bit of Ritalinic acid. Listen, I mean, you're a baseball player and you want to be able to see that pitch coming in. Mash those dingers. Well, hey, a little bit of that, a little bit of this, but... For Nascimento, it's an no contest on his record. Again, I think with that and the time away, we just haven't seen that same Chris Stryker that we saw when he was taking on some of those bigger names. And I mentioned it for Nascimento, coming out of a big gym, American top team, Mike Brown over there, training the big guys, Pahumpa as well. So we'll see what version that we get of Nascimento. 13 fights right now as we tape this, 13 Brazilians all littered down the card, none of them facing off against each other. We'll see if that kind of hometown rub for the favorite just Nascimento the, this get? ranked opponent, because I brought it up earlier in the card, right? It feels like there's the top 15 in heavyweight, and then a lot of guys outside of that could beat each other on most given days. I just, I struggle with where you project well, either one of these guys with a good plan. I hope Nascimento does, because he is ranked, so I hope for Nascimento's sake, he does get a ranked fighter, and I think a guy like Jairzinho Rosenstreich that's a great sound call, crazy. Honestly. Might be the next uh, guy for that. Just style for style, don't give You're right. Jairzinho just, another wrestler. I just worry with Nascimento. If he goes out there and wins another really close fight, like the last because you're right they were not fun to watch at all no. if he does go out there and repeats that i just feel like they're gonna have him be another stepping stone for another guy but uh, when he's able to put together the boxing it is really nice because he has that great threat of the jiu-jitsu as well in the back pocket and i do think his grappling if he's able to get on top of a guy like Dante Mays, could really overpower him like he did when he submitted don Mays years ago because that's right this is a rematch, and Nascimento is 1 0. He was able to get the win over Mays a number of years ago. Matt, we have a look at the odds in this one. Nascimento favored in the rematch. Baby, now we got bad blood, Matt, in Taylor's version. 1989 Kendrick Hall's going to be out. there. I don't know. We'll see. But, Matt, when we do have a look at this one, I'm going to say over under 80% Nascimento in a uh, second I'll rate. say over. They've been wild. And it's way over. 1,332 total votes, 90% Nascimento, 44% by decision, 35% by submission, 14% by knockout. For the 10% that have maze, 70% by knockout, I think Nascimento beats him again. I think it's a little bit of mind games. It's a little bit of fluffing it and getting those two wins in a row. You get confident when you're back home. You hit your stride. And Nascimento gets a win and holds a spot in the ranking. No, I think it's a great point. I couldn't agree more. I've also got Nassimento. Matt, some big time fights on this card. Let us know who we have in this matchup. Both of us going with Zay Colmea, Nassimento to get the win. It's one half of the Flying Bomb mm. brothers next. Gabriel Bomb is going to be taking on Nicholas Dalby. You're not going to want to miss it. Keep it locked in with Fight Night Picks. We always say, let's, let's get, get into it. it. It is a big time co-main event coming up this weekend. The ultimate skill check, Danish dynamite, Nicholas Dolby looking to play spoiler again. And since coming back into the UFC, he's 5-1 with a no contest. He's looked amazing and he's just shy of his 39th birthday. Again, looking to play spoiler against one half of those Bonfim brothers. It's Gabriel Bonfim. He's undefeated as a pro. All three of his UFC wins. First round submission finishes. He's got a Von Peru ladies and gentlemen. And his last time, or last couple of times out, again, Munir Lazes with the guillotine. Trevin Giles, Giles getting back up out of it. And he's probably thinking, oh no, not that Zach Cummins fight again. Oh yeah, that yep. Zach Cummins fight again. Bomb pulls back. He adjusts himself into a guillotine and he gets it done. So when it does come down to this one, Matt. A lot of people are going to be high on the younger fighter, and how could you not? He had an undefeated boxing record. He's looked amazing inside of the cage, and all of those wins, just awesome finishes and awesome submissions are out there too. But Nicholas Dalby, why do I say he's a skill check? You look at those three wins in a row, I know he's got the split decision over Warley Alves that doesn't hold a lot of weight considering Alves' last loss, but that was against a really good fighter. The Claudio Silva decision fight, which if you go back and watch it, after the first round, Claudio is huffing and puffing for air. But again, split between, or after those rather, Muslim Salikov, he gets the win out there. Nicholas Dalby with his Wim Hof. He just loads up on the breathing for the first round, the second round, the third round. Dalby, I don't care if he was 25. I don't care if he's nearly 39. He's got three-round cardio. He shows up to fight, and he's always the same version pretty well in every single fight. He can give you an awesome fight of the night like he did in the Cage Warriors title fight against Ross Houston. What a great fight. He can give you the weird scrambliness against Alex Oliveira when he came back into the UFC at home in Copenhagen. He is a true one-of-one, one, and when I think of Nicholas Dalby today, I'll probably think of him the same way. He makes it a tough fight for anybody when he takes them on. So like Lady Gaga in that Bradley Cooper movie. I'll always remember us this way. <laughs> Me and Nicholas Dalby, of all people... Uh, Nicholas Dolby, I can openly admit I seem to write off every single fight he's ever had post 35 and he just keeps on proving me wrong I was going to bring up a name but it might be too fresh based on what we just watched he's kind of like Geno Smith right they wrote him off but he didn't write back and that has been the really nice thing to see from Nicholas Dolby because what I assumed would have faltered at the age that he's got to which is the durability because he is hittable right like we've seen him get hit by some yeah. big shots he's been hurt by big shots too but that stick-to-itiveness to wrestle in bad spots he can scramble in bad spots he can then it, respond to his own volume in bad spots a, a lot of people have sung the song but Canada's own Fred Penner put it on the map Cat came back the very next day. And he always comes back. But he's really going to need that stick to it against a guy like Gabriel Bonfim. Because Bonfim is such a talented striker in his own right, with his own power shots. And the thing that we brought up before he ever came into the UFC was, you got to watch out for the defensive submissions as well. It's something he's always been good at. He realizes a lot of his opponents are going to try to co- collapse that distance, excuse me, go for the hips and try to take them down. And the way that he's able to cinch up those necks is really impressive. I, I know him giving up a takedown kind of led to the Von Pruh choke. But hey, if you're that good with your submissions, what am I going to do? Argue with you? So, I really have been impressed by what I've seen out of Gabriel Bonfim so far in the UFC. And how could you not be? Because, like you said, three straight first round uh, wins is nothing but impressive. And Dolby, the lone loss in this 5 and 1 with an old contest since he's come back into the UFC. You remember that comeback fight, the cannoneer card against Hermanson? The one loss is to Tim Means, but the no contest that nobody talks about was against Jesse Ronson. Ronson coming in at 170, up a weight class on short notice oh, no. now. He's a Samurai 165 top great, the super lightweight Jesse Ronson in Quebec right now. But against Dalby, he drops him and he submits him. I think that's There's what bomb Gabriel Bonfim going to do to him. Bonfim is a big favorite. We have a look at the topology votes, Matt. Surprise us there, to you. I'm going to say over under 90% Bonfim. Probably over. It's over. 1,408 total votes, 95% Bomphim, 68% by submission for the 5% that have Dolby, 79% by decision. We haven't seen Bomphim go past the second round. It's been since 2021. He did it once against Brenner Albert. So we'll see if it happens in this one. He's still got the finish. He's undefeated and all 15 wins by finish. We'll see if that continues on. But I do think Bonfim can get it done just with the mix of wrestling that he has with that tricky sidewinder striking that he possesses. And when Dolby is fighting to his fullest potential, he is a very in-your-face kind of guy. And I worry that that's going to walk him into some of those counter shots from Bonfim. So I agree with you. I could see this being a, if it's a submission win, it's probably going to get set up with the strengths because Bonfim has that in his pocket for sure. Both of us going with Gabriel Bonfim in the matchup. Let us know who we have. Is it Danish Dynamite or Maritinha? A big time main event, two polar opposites in terms of styles, the all-time knockout leader in the UFC, Derek Lewis, the submission specialist, Jaltan Almeida. Keep it locked in with Fight Nate Picks, we always say, let's get into it. <laughs> Finally, time for the main event of the evening, UFC Sao Paulo, Jaltan Almeida taking on Derek Lewis. And... Lewis really getting a big opportunity in this main event, putting himself back up there once again, his last time out a big time first round, Flying switch knee to ground and pound knockout win over Marcos Egerio de Lima. I'm sure the Brazilian fans are going to be amped about that. And if you can believe it, for Derek Lewis, I mean, having all of this UFC experience, having two title fights, one for the interim belt against Siddle Gunn, one for the real McCoy at UFC 230 against Daniel Cormier. This is just the fourth fight for Derek Lewis in his UFC career and his career in general outside of the United States. He's fought in New Zealand against Mark Hunt. He fought in Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada against Travis Brown. And he fought in Zagreb, Croatia against Gabriel Gonzaga years ago, getting a finish win there. But this is, of course, a giant clash of styles. And we can really just talk wax poetic about Derek Lewis and his knockout abilities. But for Jaltan Almeida, this guy is a takedown artist that few know of. And now the wrestling superstar, formerly known as Edge, now by his real name, Adam Copeland, over with AEW. The rated R superstar. He made the spear famous Jaltan almeida has been in the ufc for five fights against danilo marquez it took seven seconds parker porter three seconds after a front kick against anton terkali 12 seconds against Shamil durakimov a front kick caught a left hook eaten for his troubles and then yeah eight seconds and then against jarzino rosen four seconds what does all that mean Jalton Almeida takes an average of just over six seconds to land his first takedown attempt in his UFC fight. He knows what he's good at. It's insane. So the ultimate takedown artist is Jalton Almeida. You know how good his grappling is, his submission ability, his his ability to soften up his opponents, wrap the legs, and then get to the back. It's second to none in this division, and he's on a rocket ship to the top. So he gets a big opportunity. It's a really big name. And Lewis gets the silence critics once again. It's an interesting matchup because we can go on like you said for as long as we want to about how much of a clash of styles this is. But the biggest question mark I have about Jelson Almeida at this stage of his career is when will he start to get predictable with some of those takedown attempts? Cuz that's I don't what know, I'm... 6.8 seconds. But is no, but the problem is when are people going to be able to take advantage of that factor because everybody knows it's coming. So how are you going to stop? it? it's very similar to Damian Maya when he was on his run, right? Everybody knows he's going for the rear naked choke, but he just kept on getting it on every single fighter. And for Almeida, I do think at a certain point he is going to face that test, and that's why I was so excited for the Curtis Blades fight, because for whatever critiques that you want of Curtis Blades' game, The guy can grapple. Like, he is an absurdly good wrestler. And I think we would have seen Jalton Almeida on his back. In a situation like that, it would have been really interesting to see how he would have done. Now, Curtis Blaze isn't the aggressive fighter he was in that Overeem fight. That would look insane if he would do that every matchup. But I think it really would test Almeida and the totality of his skill set. in the gas tank as well. To see him get out of some of those bad positions. Whereas, this fight is really... And you hate to sound like such a meathead, but it is the truth. Can Lewis land that one big shot? And I know for him that one shot can come in a variety of different ways. We've seen him throw spinning back kicks in person. He won his last fight by double switch knee, like you said. Like, the guy has that one knockout punch, but he has it available in a plethora of different ways. I just worry that that's not enough against somebody like Jalton Almeida who's shown how dominant he can be and the thing I know what you're gonna say probably not but but Derek Lewis he could just get up and that is going to be a factor because Derek Lewis does have surprisingly good grappling defense I would say he can't get stuck in bad positions but his ability to just simply get back up to his feet has been quite impressive Almeida's just such a dominant presence in that position though and like you said he throws the ground and pound and that's gonna keep your hands occupied up here and not getting back up to your feet I mean UFC 293 now you look at all of the main events you had Strickland beating out of you had the draw grasso shevchenko you had gamrot beating Fazib, green beating dawson barboza beating yusuf it's all of these veterans getting wins and all of these underdogs getting wins now makachev beat volkanovski and that kind of set the trend back into the normal way but when you do look at this fight map for Derek lewis tied at the top i mean fifth all-time and finishes at 14. number one all-time in ufc history with 14 knockouts at the promotion he's got eight bonuses in his time and again he's two and one it's a limited sample size but two and one outside of the uh united states and the last time he fought outside of the u.s was in 2017 against mark hunt and he got finished and he didn't look very good yes, but again travis brown was 2017 at the start of the year you got the win there and of course the win over gabriel gonzaga years and years ago in zagreb croatia you look at this one lewis is the underdog we threw it out there to you in the youtube community tab but put it as a picture to see what the results would be a lot more uh hottest of dogs doesn't want to see us go uh daniel gotta be almeida in round two we've got uh richard Koshorek saying Derek lewis by ko tko and afui saying almeida by submission mat a lot of people in the comments are going Jaltan to almeida topology has almeida we might as well go to the percentage on topology too just to see it's i'm over say- 95 you think i'm gonna say over it's under look at that 1100 uh or sorry 1376 total votes 87 percent Almeida 79 percent by submission for the 13 percent that of Lewis 95 percent have to win by uh knockout and if you look at it for Lewis in terms of submission losses there's only been about three but I look at them like you think about Daniel Cormier. he's been put in bad position yeah that too, one right? was by submission even ugh. Well, like oh, let got him it. in the submission. He just couldn't complete it because Derek Lewis is too big. He's got a big neck. And Lewis has that just-get-up mentality. He's got the buzzer beater coming back. And if this goes past a first or a second round, what's Jalton Almeida going to look like? Because he did have a main ag- event against Rosenstrike, but it was over. It also didn't have the juice of being a fight in your home country. Exactly. It was in the apex. So emotional. for Jaltan Almeida, a big shot. Do you think he gets someone over? Derek Lewis, you do want to believe in spurts, right? Like, he's a little bit like Gordon Hayward on the Charlotte Hornets. If you watch him every now and then, you're like, hey, he's still a really good player. Then you watch for a full game, and it's like, hey, the injuries have taken their toll. He's not the guy he used to be. And for Derek Lewis, you kind of have to look at him in the same light. I know heavyweights can last on for a lot longer, because power's normally the last thing to go. But Derek Lewis earlier on in his career was pretty quick, too. And he's still athletic, I would say, for how big he is in the age that he's at. But you do worry that the losses, and some of those injuries, too, you bring up the Mark Hunt fight, the lasting image in my head of that Marcon fight is just him holding his back. He's had a lot of issues with his back. And that's something that never like, you you can get over it, but you can still have issues with it for a long time. So, I'm Shelton Almeida, but I bring up his predictability on purpose. He's a, I think at a certain point, someone is going to take advantage of the fact that, hey, he's going to shoot from a mile away. If I just backpedal immediately, I can probably avoid the first one. And if you can make him pay on some of those in-betweens, and like you said, get him in that third, fourth, and fifth round to place Derek Lewis has been much more than uh, Shelton Almeida, maybe he can win this fight. Right. Lewis had lost to Tuivasa, Pavlovich, and Sergey Spivak before he was able to rate right the ship his last time out against Marco Sergio de Lima. He was favored to beat de Lima. I didn't think Lewis was going to beat de Lima, and I certainly didn't think he was going to beat him that quick. He did, so now he comes into this fight against Jalatan Almeida. And again, when you count a guy out like Derek Lewis, you mentioned the New Zealand fight against Mark Hunt. Since he fought Marconi, he got two title shots. So sure. he was able to overcome and oversee some big time wins in his own right. I think Jalatan Almeida is going to be able to get it done in this matchup simply because he's able to get the takedowns early. He's been able to get them often. And the other part about it for Jalatan Almeida, shooting for your first takedown in five fights on an average of 6.8 seconds is great. But look at what Sergey Spivak was able to do two fights ago against Derek Lewis. It was five or six takedowns in a round. And Spivak's able to go out there and get the finish. So it probably won't come as a surprise to many that we're both going with Charlton Almeida in the matchup. But there's some really big fights on this card. I know I went with a fair amount of like oddball underdogs on it. But I think there's going to be a lot of really close, really interesting fights. There's 13 as of Sunday night when we tape this. Lucas Alexander kind of out there. Doesn't have a fight with David Onama anymore. So if anything does change on this card... From now until UFC 296, you can find us here at Fight Apex Picks. We'll update you as best we can. But again, I know there's some really interesting ones. And you mentioned a really fun possible fight of the night that's on this card. There's a lot of those out there. There definitely is. I love the Alizio Zaleski de Santos versus Sabrina Fakradino fight. It's a fun fight to be earlier on, on the whole entire card. The Petrino Bukowskis fight should be a really fun one as well. And of course, Mega Meta versus Bahalio. That should be a really interesting one, because the winner of that is probably going to get a big name opponent their next time out. So many clashes of styles. You can find us on X and Instagram, at Craig FMP at FMP. You're going to want to keep it locked in with Fight Name Picks. We always say, let's get into it.